Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRose, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 11, 2024, including... Xbox is holding a developer direct next week that will show us their biggest games for 2024. A new rumor suggests that Xbox is bringing a notable previous exclusive title to other platforms soon. A new Xbox toaster is available for all you guys that need to uh, make your toast look like Xbox. And more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2005, 19 years ago, Mercenaries Playground of Destruction was released for the original Xbox. Now, I feel like this is a franchise that has come up plenty of times on the podcast. I've especially lamented uh, the, the fact that you can no longer play Mer- Mercenaries 2 World in Flames because of the. it's one of the very rare games that's not included in the Xbox backwards compatibility list. And it's not available digitally on storefronts, so it's like you, you got to have a physical copy running on an Xbox 360 to play a game. However, today we're talking about the first entry in the series. I like this game a lot. I remember renting it quite a few times from Blockbuster back when it came out and thinking this is really fun. But it was the second one that really like got me hooked on this series. Maybe it's just because the timing lined up better, but I, I don't know. I, I love the first game. A lot of fun. I think most people actually consider the first one to be the superior game. And hey, the good news is... Not only is X, is is Mercenaries Playground Destruction the first game backwards compatible and available on Xbox through uh, modern Xbox hardware, but it was even featured as a Games of Gold title, I want to say twice, at least once, maybe multiple times. I feel like there have been multiple opportunities to get a backwards compatible version of this game available uh, to Xbox subscribers of various services, Xbox Live predominantly. But anyway, point I'm trying to make is you can still play this game, thankfully. It's a very good game. I like the second one just a little better. I feel like it just hit at the right time, maybe. But uh, unfortunately, that game is not playable. Fortunately, this game is playable, and we will move on because I, I just I always get sucked in talking about this. And then oh, the studio pandemic that made the game, and how I wish they were still around, and how they were such a creative developer. And everyone goes, oh, who's pandemic? I'm like, oh, those are the guys that made the OG Star Wars Battlefront games. And everyone's like, oh, I love Star Wars Battlefront. I'm like, I know you probably would have liked Mercenaries, even though they're not very much at, at all alike. But still, pandemic was an awesome developer. May they rest in peace. Fuck you, EA. There's our first f bomb of the uh, of the show. Glad we could direct it at EA Games uh, for no, for no discernible reason. Anyway, guys, welcome to Xbox On. It's a podcast about nothing. Hey, today we got regular podcast stuff to talk about. It's the first episode of the year where we got the regular shindig. You know, we got the opening news segments, we got the main news, we got the small news, we got the comments. It's just a regular old run-of-the-mill day for the past month or so. It's been a lot of like, oh, it's the holidays. Everyone's fucking sitting at home drinking eggnog, yelling at grandma. But now we're all back. We're at our day jobs. We're doing commuting again. Traffic has commenced. Our children are going to school and coming home with bad grades. It's all normal again. So we can get back to our normal Xbox on and I'm glad to be here and help facilitate that with all of you guys today. So welcome, welcome, welcome. That being said, don't let the normalcy set in too much because I do have a quick announcement to make. Next week's episode of the podcast is going to be 
pushed back by a day. Gasp. Now, I, I assume, unless you live under an Xbox rock, uh, 99% of you know exactly why we're pushing back next week's episode, because I always upload my podcast on a Thursday, and Xbox likes to be fucking cute and do their little developer directs on Thursdays, even though they do their summer showcases always on Sundays, which is so accommodating. But anyway, yeah, if you didn't know, Xbox revealed a big developer direct, which we're going to be talking about all in the news today. It's going to be our main topic of discussion, um, so we'll get into that stuff in a little bit. But I just want to say at the top of the show, because of that, uh, because of that happening on a Thursday, I won't be able to record the podcast till after work on Thursday. I'll have to gather all my notes, rewatch the whole direct thing, get my thoughts together, uh, probably go on and on about how Indiana Jones looks like a game I'm excited to play. And then I'll record it. And then Friday morning it will go up. So still same thing, 9 a.m. Eastern time. But on Friday instead of Thursday, let's see. Let me look at a calendar. That is the 19th, not the 18th. So please, please understand. But anyway, we'll get into that stuff later. In the meantime, let's uh, let's stay on track. Let's stay on track. We always open the show talking about any uh, notable games releasing this week. Still too early to tell. Nothing really notable has come out yet. Although I think I think next week we start to get notable releases. Prince of Persia comes out next week, if I'm not mistaken, on on Friday the 18th, actually. So there's that. We're getting there. Once we get into February, we'll start to get a steady stream of notable games. So don't don't you worry about that segment. It'll come back. Um, as for corrections, before we get into our mildly amusing stories, guys, I want to want to read one from Tim R. who wrote in and says, Ben Affleck, question mark? Yes, Ben Affleck, the CEO and founder of Affleck, the, 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 the what is that? What, what, what even is Affleck? Is that insurance? What is that? Is that a scam? Is that insurance? Is that real? No, Ben Affleck, the actor. Thank you, Tim R. That was what I forgot. I was talking about Batman last week, and for some reason I blanked out when I was trying to say Ben Affleck. And, uh, of course, you had to write in and be the handsome man you are and, and save the day. So I appreciate you doing that. Ben Affleck, everybody. And now we can move on <laughs> to the stories of mild amusement updates uh, from previous stories and etc. So, guys, let's settle into this week with a little bit of news all about Fallout creator Tim Kane. Uh, consulting? With Obsidian for the Outer Worlds 2? Question mark. From VGC, guys. Story reads, Fallout creator Tim Kane is consulting on Outer Worlds 2. It's been revealed. The veteran game developer, best known for his post-apocalyptic RPG franchise, is working with Obsidian on its upcoming sequel. Speaking of Rock, Paper, Shotgun, that's the news outlet, Kane said, there's stuff that they're trying to do in a sequel that, of course, I can't talk about, but I get pulled in on because it's similar stuff to what I've done in the past. Sometimes it's just me saying... I'm not going to tell you what to do, but here are the uh, pitfalls. Here are some of the huge, huge chasms that lie your way if you're going to have to, that you're going to have to wend around. What, what word is that? Is that supposed to say weave? Anyway, Kane alongside Fallout co-creator Leonard Boyarsky served as co-director of the first game, which was widely praised. Later in the interview, Kane praised a member of the Obsidian team for apparently figuring out a problem that the developer has been looking to resolve since the time of the Fallout franchise, saying, quote, I not only told him how impressed I was, I found my notes from 28 years before, and I said, let me read you a few lines from a production meeting in the, from July of 1995. So... Anyway, these are anecdotal little uh, little uh, jibs and quotes and things like that to say Obsidian's pulling in more talent, more uh, old old school assistance to help make Outer Worlds 2 something 
listen, I got I got to be honest. Like most people in the world, my 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 familiarity with the Fallout franchise begins with where Bethesda picked up with Fallout Three. I don't know the series well enough to talk about the old Fallout games, which are nothing like the current Fallout games. And so I don't know what this means for you know what you could eject from old Fallout into uh, Outer Worlds Two, which is a game that is very much like linear fallout new vegas if you want to put it that way i don't know how you'd put that i i guess the, the bigger thing isn't like what are they going to do with this game should we speculate about what features or or kinds of things they'll attempt to pull off in this game but more so just to say like hey guys are you a fan of old school obsidian stuff are you a fan of old fallout are you a fan of that kind of shit well get ready because they got really you know really uh the, the top tier talent the, the fucking masters of it all the 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 teachers the teachers that taught the students are here to weigh in on, to lend an ear to, to lend uh, lend some notes, compare, give some feedback, that sort of thing. And it seems like Outer Worlds 2 is shaping up to be something that'll uh, maybe make Fallout fans just a little more giddy than they otherwise would be. You're not getting your Fallout New Vegas remake. You're not getting Fallout uh, 5 from the creators of Fallout New Vegas. But you are getting Outer Worlds 2 with the expertise and and uh, and assistance and oversight uh, or overseeing of, of of the people responsible for the fall franchise. So, who the hell knows what that means? Sorry to open up on such a <laughs> lame note. I just got, I gotta be honest. I don't. My experience with Fallout is limited to Fallout Three and Fallout Four. Speaking of Minecraft, and this is something I can speak to because I, I I know Minecraft. Developer of Moye, uh, develop sorry development of Minecraft Legends is ending, according to Mojang the developer or the the shepherd of the Minecraft IP co-developed by Microsoft's own studio and Blackbird Interactive. The multi-platform action strategy game that released last year uh, will be, uh, will be coming to a close as far as uh, continued support goes quote, since launch, we've listened to community feedback, implemented a series of changes and tweaks and made the game better with that complete. We're now going to take a step back from development. Mojang said in a blog post, the game's new content and final content arrives this month in the form of the Lost Legend Challenge called Snover Snout, a free bright-eyed hero skin, which is available to claim now in Minecraft Legends Marketplace. And while no further content updates for the game uh, will be made, the title will continue to be supported for the foreseeable future. Also important to note, Mojang ended support for the Dungeon Crawler Minecraft spinoff Minecraft Dungeons back last September in 2023. So... That that last little bit about Minecraft Dungeons is actually the perfect jumping off point because you can compare and contrast. Minecraft Legends came out nine months ago. Minecraft Dungeons came out around the same time, April, but in 2020. So one of these games was supported for over three years. And one of these games was supported for about nine months. So it's pretty easy to look at Minecraft Legends and assume Minecraft Legends underperformed, or at least did a lot worse than Minecraft Dungeons did. And I think anecdotally, we can all kind of assume that's the case because Minecraft Dungeons, when it came out, had a lot more word of mouth. And I feel like people were pretty high on that. It's like, I thought Minecraft Dungeons was pretty fucking great. It was a great little Game Pass game, fun couch co-op game with my girlfriend. Um, a lot of fun, like a little baby's first Diablo. But for someone like me, I actually kind of preferred to Diablo because it was nice. Bite sized didn't ask too much of you and it was a fun way to unwind after a long day's work whereas minecraft legends um seemed almost it seemed like no one really talked about this game when it came out no one really cared about this game when it came out its reviews were pretty pretty decent but not like show stopping and then no one ever really talked about it just it just didn't have 
the legs and the support that a game like Minecraft Dungeons had, unfortunately. And I would love to see the numbers to see kind of cross compare how these games sold, the engagement numbers, things like that, game uh, Game Pass engagement uh, for these two games as they both launched in the Game Pass. I'd like to see how these games performed across PlayStation and Switch, since obviously these are multi-platform games. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's kind of it's kind of weird and unfortunate, but Minecraft Legends just coming to a close. And so you, you got to wonder, what does that mean? Are we just moving on to the next Minecraft spinoff? Will we see that at E3 this year? Will we get to learn about the next spinoff in the Minecraft universe? We got Minecraft Story Mode from freaking... Um, telltale games back in the day we got minecraft dungeons which is awesome minecraft legends which i actually think minecraft legends is pretty good um it's it's very unique I, I it's one of those games where it's like i played it for three hours i thought wow this is pretty cool and then put it down and then never came back to it but i enjoyed the limited time i spent with the game i just got distracted because it wasn't even remotely close to being that high on my priority list and i feel like that's probably what happened to a lot of people was Last year was a bad year to release a game that was anything less than like show stopping or like a game that people already knew they wanted to play. You know, something like Spider-Man or Starfield. It's like, yeah, we want to play that. Something like um, like uh, Boulder's Gate. It's like, hey, everyone, stop what you're doing. Look at me. I'm the greatest thing ever. But a game like Minecraft Legends, it's like uh, just, there wasn't room for something that was like just all right or kind of cool. Or, Let me get in my comfort zone and try this. And I don't know. Maybe that's that has something to do with it or maybe minecraft legends was a tough sell because it's a unique game it's like a little bit rts it's a little bit action game it's a, it's got a lot of different elements going on with it and it's, it's it's fun it's casual it's easy to pick up and play but it's also a little cumbersome and i think they did a good job binding the game's controls to 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 the standard controller but it definitely feels like when you're playing this on xbox like it's kind of a keyboard and mouse game so i don't know it's it's whereas minecraft dungeons was pretty pick up and play arcadey casual Minecraft Legends, despite being approachable, like once you actually get into it, I feel like it was hard to market and came off a little bit more cumbersome and, and, and like there was a learning curve to it. And I think that was a turnoff to a lot of people, especially when it came to the marketing of the game. So maybe that paired with a competitive year, paired with just not a whole lot of buzz surrounding the game, kind of killed it, which is which is crazy because it's it, we're talking about Minecraft, you know, it's it's one of those franchises where it's just supposed to it's just supposed to do good, you know, do good for everyone. Minecraft Legends, while you are not a legend, may you may you rest in peace. Um, you can still play the game. It's not going away. It's just they're not adding new content to it. They're going to move on. Focus their development efforts on uh, things that will make more money. All right, a couple more, two more little stories of mild amusement I want to get into. Speaking of Harry Potter, uh, which is a game that came out around the time of, of, of Minecraft Legends, but actually uh, got way more attention and did way better. Uh, we got a little bit of a Harry Potter thing to talk about. So from VGC, Warner Bros. has teased plans to release more games in the Wizarding World franchise following the success of Hogwarts Legends. In an interview with Variety Magazine, Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment President David Hadid, Hadard, Hadid, Hadid, said that the Harry Potter RPG sold over 22 million copies between its release and February and the end of the calendar calendar year. So in 10 months, 22 million copies. F me, that's pretty good shit. <laughs> uh, that made it the best-selling game of the year for the entire industry worldwide, he claimed. that. So look at that. Outsold Call of Duty. There you go. War, uh, Warner Bros. plans to follow up on the success with Harry Potter Quidditch Champions, which was revealed last April, uh, and a series of other things that are currently unannounced but will, quote, let the fans be part of the world and the stories and the characters in deeper and deeper ways, had it said. 
Harry Potter Quidditch Champions, which is currently in beta, is billed as a fast-paced competitive multiplayer race uh, game featuring, not racing game, but multiplayer game featuring the world's most iconic magical sport. It's also coming to PC consoles and will release at some point that's yet to be determined. Quote, we don't have any particular announcements on exactly what and when the Quidditch game is or, or when we'll see and what it is, uh, but it's going to come to market and we are working to get the design in a way that will delight fans. So, Update on the Quidditch game. It's real. It's happening. It's coming. No surprise there. Another update that's maybe not surprising, but just hasn't really been talked about yet. They're doing more Harry Potter shit. I think the response to this, the quick and easy and honest response, no shit. 22 million copies. Best-selling game of the year. You'd be fucking stupid not to make another Harry Potter game. couple things about this. couple little, little uh, takeaways. One, my heart breaks because even though I'm so happy that somehow, by the grace of God, the guys behind my beloved Cars movie franchise and Disney Infinity and Toy Story video games, Avalanche, went from being a defunct studio that Disney fucked over and, and shut down because Bob Iger uh, is too busy going on to his yacht, sailing away to Jet, uh, Epstein's Island and uh, digging up photos of Donald Trump at an embarrassing 1993 Christmas party. Um, I don't even know what you said. But they went from being a defunct studio at the hands of Disney's merciless uh, bureaucracy and ended up being revitalized, brought back from the dead, put on a Harry Potter game of all of all things and created a game that delighted 22 million fucking people last year and became the best selling game of the year. I, Dude, if you told me in 2016, let me get more specific in May of 2016. Yes, I remember the fucking month. In May of 2016, when Bob Iger pulled the plug on Disney Infinity, ripped my heart straight out of my chest, if you had told me, don't worry, buddy, Avalanche will be back, and they'll create a game that will outsell Call of Duty <laughs> and be like everyone's like game of the year, not game of the year in terms of like, oh, it's the most genre-defining game, but like a game that delights just a mass number of people, like the, one of the most notable games to release the year comes out. I would be like, you're stupid and dumb, and I'm going to go cry in my bed surrounded by all my Toy Story action figures, and that's what I would do. But, in fact, I would have been the dumb one because what actually happened was the hypothetical thing where Avalanche is back, they're here, and unfortunately this means they are stuck on Harry Potter bitch duty for the rest of eternity. If you go, if you're one of those people that goes, oh, it's just too bad that Insomniac's stuck on spider-man and x-men and marvel and they're never going to make another another unique thing they're just going to keep making marvel games bitch imagine how i feel we had a developer dedicated to all things disney and pixar and now they're making harry potter it's like i need you to make jesse's favorite thing and then die and then come back to life and make jesse's least favorite thing it's like they're making beats it's like they're making actual beats it's like it's like it's like if my favorite restaurant of all time was like we're steak we're macaroni and cheese we're pizza we're chicken wings we're philly cheese steaks we're mountain dew we're everything jesse loves in this world and then a health inspector came in and said fuck you i'm shutting you down even though you're really clean in the kitchen and then they shut down and then some small time investor named uh named bitcoin bill comes in and he says i'm gonna throw you a couple bit bucks i'm gonna get this place back up and running but now we don't sell hot wings we don't sell philly cheese steaks we don't sell pizza or steaks or cheeseburgers or anything delicious we don't even sell tacos anymore and they say now we sell beet salad no dressing fuck you beet salad and our drink menu includes sparkling non-flavored soda water soda water and then I would cry and people would come in and they get their fucking beet salad and they get their LaCroix and they'd sit there and they drink and they eat and they'd be happy. And maybe it's the best restaurant of all time. Maybe Gordon Ramsay goes, I can't compete with these guys. And he puts himself out of business, but I'm here and I'm sad 
because my Philly cheesesteak pizza Chinese takeout taco restaurant got turned into a beat a beat restaurant in, and um that's how I feel about my boys over at Avalanche, man. They can make the fucking Harry Potter games. Um, but that's good news for most people. I know I'm, I'm weird. I don't like Harry Potter. Most people do. So good for, good for most people because you're going to get, hey, you're going to get more Harry Potter. And I'm sure Avalanche will be one of the many teams that will bring you more Harry Potter because I'd be fucking shocked that they said after the success of Hogwarts Legacy, yeah, we're only going to have one developer ever work on Harry Potter. No. In fact, we know the Quidditch game is being worked on by a different studio. So we can assume... A couple different teams are probably going to try their hand at this dirty, dirty wizarding world. Um, Not only that, but um, we do have to keep an eye out because for some fucking reason, Warner Bros. is all hell-bent, as they talked about recently. Was that an earnings call? or I don't remember what it was, but they were talking about how they want to lean further into multiplayer uh, games instead of single-player content, which is just so silly because Hogwarts Legacy was like the thing that kind of made... It's like their biggest... Their biggest game since Batman Arkham. It's a single-player game, just like Batman Arkham was, and all their multiplayer efforts have bombed and failed in recent in recent years. Not not sales-wise, but in terms of just like becoming something important, long-standing. Um, so the fact that they, they want to lean into that more is just silly because uh, I don't know. We're gonna get our Harry Potter multiplayer game. That that's what I'm getting at. Quidditch is just one of them. But uh, if you're gonna go this route, dude, I got I gotta say, man, if you want to do Harry Potter. In a multiplayer world, it's so fucking obvious what you need to do. It needs to be an MMO, but it needs to be like it needs to be an MMO, but with the biggest B U T T ever, uh, because because most Harry Potter's fans aren't really like hardcore gamers. And I don't mean that as a slight. I'm just trying to speak honestly. It needs to be like a very approachable, chill, casual open world game. It needs to like what what if an MMO, but it was like. Animal Crossing levels of chill. I'm not saying what about a Harry Potter game where you pay animals to to let you live on the land and and pull weeds out of your garden. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what if you could take the zen, chill, fun, do whatever the fuck you want of a game like Animal Crossing and put it in an open, interactive, living, breathing multiplayer world like what an like what Hogwarts Legacy would be if it was a massively multiplayer online game. I feel like if you can bleed, you know, take that shit, put it all together. You know, because I feel like there's a there's a bleed over between like Harry Potter fans and then like the people that play video games, but only if it's called The Sims or Mario Kart. And you like kind of shake it all up and put it in a box and and say it's an MMORPG. I feel like there's there's a market there. I feel like there's a really a really popular game to be made there. So I think they should explore that avenue. But anyway, maybe maybe what they'll do is like Suicide Squad, kill the Justice League, and they'll make a game where all the Slytherin mugbloods have to get heavy machinery and guns and artillery and uh, go after the, the, um, uh, the, uh, I'm I'm not trying to be funny. I know the uh, Gryffindor people and, you know, you just fucking go on a manslaughter. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Like a game called Slytherin versus Gryffindor. And it's like M rated. It's fucking gory. And all the fucking kids in the green jackets slaughter the kids in the red jackets. It'd be like the Crips versus the Bloods, but with Harry Potter, I'd be down for that fucking game. I want it. Make it happen. All those fucking pasty-ass British kids slaughtering one another. Let's make it happen. All right. Where were we? Speaking of pasty people, (laughs) uh, we got an ex-Activision executive accusing the publisher of of discriminating against old white guys or age discrimination from gamesindustry.biz. That's right. It's not always VGC. A former Activision executive is uh, suing the publisher in California through the state court, um, accusing the company 
of age discrimination and violation uh, violating the state's whistleblower protection laws, uh, as originally reported by Law 360. The suit was filed earlier in the week by a 57-year-old former tech executive who worked for the company from 2014 until being laid off as part of a restructuring in the Activision Blizzard Central Tech Department last August. So this is before Xbox acquired Activision. So that may, I don't know, maybe this restructure had something to do with them anticipating an acquisition of, from from Microsoft, or maybe it's just a restructuring they were doing regardless, yet to be determined. The lawsuit gives several examples to establish the Activision Blizzard discrimination against him, stating that uh, statements from Bobby Kotick allegedly um, made at a leadership conference uh, where he said the problem with Activision Blizzard is that there are, quote, too many old white guys. Uh, the suit doesn't exactly say when the conference was. Uh, it says that a pair of white executives left the company shortly afterwards, saying in, the, uh, in their departures, or that their departures were, quote, based at least in part on Kodak's ageist remarks. One of those departing executives recommended that the plaintiff, 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 I always feel like I'm saying that word wrong, um, as his replacement. Um, the suit says... Uh, but he was passed over in favor of a younger, non-white employee who then became his manager. The suit accuses the manager of creating a hostile work environment and criticizing his work in such as merit-based uh, salary increases for the year was the lowest he received during his tenure at the company. The suit notes that a woman in his department complained to a human resources uh, team about her own merit-based increase being below expectations, saying she made a false and defamatory remarks about him to human resources and his manager. Anyway, this goes on and on and on and, and basically ends with it saying that due to that restructuring of the central tech team uh, last August uh, of the team of 200 people, six of the 47 that were laid off were um, were older white men. Activision placed profits over people by terminating older, higher paid executives, he says in the suit. Um, and then the suit also notes that Activision currently has open job listings for central tech department roles. So that's, I think that's the crux of his argument right there is just that, hey, they laid us all off and now they got openings for these roles, which, which clearly does indicate at least one thing. I can't speak to the old thing. I can't speak to the white thing. But what I can speak to is clearly they're trying to find someone who will do your job for less money. And that is something every company does. That's a tale as old as time, baby. That's capitalism, man. If you can't get with the program, you're a fucking socialist. And you should go back to Venezuela or Russia or the Dominican Republic or wherever. Because I'm American. And I don't understand geography, history, or, or, or anything. And so what I'm trying to say to you, my guy, is yeah. Activision is probably a slimy fucking corporation that wants to save a, do a dollar at the expense of your livelihood and well-being. Shocker. And I'm not here to weigh in about whether or not... Ooh, I wouldn't be surprised if Activision, again, like most companies, to some extent, has a little bit of like an ageist thing. I think, I think ageism is a real issue in the workplace that probably doesn't get nearly as much attention as it deserves. When you talk about like controversies in the workplace, there's definitely a lot of, and, and rightly so, a lot of attention on uh, people of different skin colors and women and in the LGBT community, but there is like almost no attention paid to the elder, the elderly community when it comes to the workforce. Uh, the, the white things like a little like, I, I don't know about that. I, do I believe that they may be discriminated against you because you're an older guy who's been at the company a long ass time and makes a lot of money and they can get someone who's younger, a little more spry, a little more fast, a little more on the job, like witty and ready to get shit done. And we'll do it for half of what you'll do it for. Yeah, I believe that. I, I believe a lot of companies would fucking jump at the opportunity to do that. So I don't know. I'm not really here to weigh in on whether or not it's right or wrong. The point, the bigger, broader point to be made here is that 
here's yet another example of a different person at or, or a different group of people at Activision Blizzard who have serious beef with the company and are now taking action. And now that Activision Blizzard is officially part of the Microsoft umbrella, part of the Xbox umbrella, this is their problem to deal with. <laughs> uh, here you go again. It's like they it's like you bought you bought a Corvette. Uh, but Bobby Kotick crashed into a fucking wall and handed you the keys and said, you deal with it. And uh, here you go. <laughs> so, again, not to weigh in on who's right, who's wrong, if there's a valid argument. That's not, you know, whatever. If someone feels like they were wronged or discriminated against or, or, or mistreated at their workplace on a very human level, I fucking feel for you. That that sucks. It's not my place. I'm, I don't know you. I don't know your, the experience. I don't know how it went down. I don't work at Activision. Um, that fucking sucks to, to feel that way about your job. It sucks to be laid off. And it sucks to see a job opening for the job you just got laid off from. So whether he's whether he's got a, a good argument here or not, whether he is right or wrong and his assumptions and, and all that are correct, no doubt the situation sucks. And for that, sorry, man. <laughs> Microsoft, enjoy, enjoy this. Enjoy all these uh, lawsuits and, and things you have to deal with now because of former management. Um, but I don't know. I kind, I kind of wish we got like another death threat quoting here like Bobby Kodak said he would fucking jump from the jump from the the rafts of our of our conference room and and, and fucking body slam me into the meeting t- into the boardroom table and uh and, and, and beat my geriatric ass into a pulp and like we got one of those quotes because like I feel like we need more of those those stories of of Bobby Kodak just being a genuine piece of shit uh because while they are terrible it's horrible that people had to you know, survive in a work environment like that. My God, is it so? It's it's just ever so amusing to know that Bobby Kodak is just a just such a piece of shit. But anyway, he's gone now, and uh, Microsoft, you deal with that. And um, hopefully, that guy. I mean, maybe hopefully, he at least gets a payday out of this. You know, um, God knows Activision can afford to give him a little bit of a cheddar from all the fucking Call of Duty Nicki Minaj skins they're selling left and right. Uh, and that's it for all of our opening news stories. We're done. We're, we're moving on. We're taking a break from the Xbox news because that's not the fun stuff. That's the stuff we got to get out of the way. There's not too much to say on it, but then we get, we say, you know, that's the appetizer, man. That is the Caesar salad before the steak hits the table. Okay. So if you're thinking, Jesse, those news stories weren't that juicy. They weren't that delicious. Shut the fuck up, baby. Because if you'll just let us get through what I've been playing, if you let us get through a, a little, a little bit of a rambling, We'll get to the meat and potatoes of it. We'll get fucking creamy mashed potatoes. We'll get a boned-in cowboy cut ribeye steak. Uh, and you know it's going to be delicious. You know what we should do? We should do a jumbo crab meat topping with two pieces of asparagus. You know, you get the fucking boned-in ribeye, a lump of crab meat, the two asparagus spears on top for a presentation and added greens, and then top it with a fucking Bernays sauce. Let's do it, baby. That's going to be so... Dude, your cholesterol, you hear that? That's your heart beating, baby. But hang on, we'll get there. First, let's let's stop talking about the games I've been playing this week. Excited to talk about these games because I've been having a lot of fun playing some games lately. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. And uh, for what I've been eating, guys, I'm excited. I tried a new restaurant. I feel like it's been it's been a little while since I tried a new restaurant, so I'm kind of excited. You know, I, I th- actually... Maybe, maybe I've tried a restaurant recently and I haven't thought about it or something. It's just not coming to mind. But I, I think it's been quite a while since I've tried a new restaurant. And so, yes, I am very excited to share this with you guys. Uh, let me, I'm, pull, I'm stalling for time because I'm trying to find the name of this. Okay. Hokusai Ramen and Bar. 
Well, the sign says Hokusai Ramen and Bar. That's what the restaurant says. But on Google, they're listed as Hokusai Ramen and Izakaya. And Izakaya is like a gas. It's like a Japanese gastropub. It's like a place you go after work with your buddies and grab some uh, meat meat skewers and, and and fried foods and beer and and talk about how much you hate your boss and want to and want to and want to bang your coworker that just so happens to be your best friend slash brother slash childhood friend. What what's up? Anyway, ramen. <laughs> yeah. So. Really excited about this place because out here where we live in Florida, especially where we just bought a house, um, it's kind of the sticks. Um, we're like 20 minutes from Disney World, which is like super awesome, but we're like 45 minutes from like downtown Orlando if you want to go to like the cool spots where like the 28-year-olds that pay exorbitant rent live. Definitely sometimes kind of miss that. I, that's not my life because I'm like, ah, I, I, I like that stuff. I like the downtown, the fucking $7 donut place and the coffee shops. So I, I only get to try the hip and cool places. And the reason that especially sucks is because those are always the places where the good Asian restaurants are. And like, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Any, anyone who has like any kind of association with good Asian food knows this to be true when you live in a metropolitan area. It's like in the city is where all the legit, like authentic, cool, like hangout Japanese, Chinese, Thai, Vietnamese restaurants all are. It's like the places that are either owned and operated by like legit, like people from those countries or two super hipster white dudes who like really mastered Japanese cuisine or whatever and opened up their own izakaya. And it's like, you always got to go into the city to get that shit. And it's so good. That's how it was back in Atlanta. That's definitely how it is here in Orlando as well. And living out here kind of in the sticks where I am, where it's like, if it weren't for Disney, I'd be in fucking moo moo cow territory, you know? But thankfully we got that the, the most magical place on earth down the road. Uh, but outside of that, I'm in the suburbs, baby. And when, and when you're in the suburbs and you want to get Japanese food or Chinese food or Thai food, you're relegated to like the cheap American knockoff stuff. So like Chinese takeout, if you want Chinese food, that's your only fucking option. Don't get me wrong. I love Chinese takeout, but sometimes you want like actual Chinese food. You want to go to like a legit dim sum restaurant or something like that, or you want to get you know, like something, something good, <laughs> something a little more real, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You're not always in the mood for Papa John. Sometimes you want to go to the real pizza place. And that's kind of how it is out here with, you know, when you're in the suburbs and you want Japanese food, it's like, oh, here's like a place where you can get fucking California rolls and hibachi. It's like, okay, well, that's just like American food. That's not like really Japanese food. And again, time and place for that. Listen, I grew up in the same America. I, I I like me some fucking yum yum sauce and hibachi from time to time, but that's not real Japanese food. That's, that's, bastardization that's like it's like claiming taco bell's mexican food it's not the same hokusai ramen and izakaya opens up just outside of walt disney world in between where disney is and where i live it's like 12 minutes from my house and i'm shitting bricks over here it opened up two months ago brand new ramen spot looks legit as hell the menu looks great the prices look good I love that it does that thing a lot of new Asian restaurants do, which I'm so fucking grateful for, where I don't have to interact with a server and I can just go up to a kiosk and type in my order and then someone will ring a bell and be like, order 47, and I just go grab my food. And I don't have to interact with a human. It's so awesome. And I've been looking forward to trying this place out. So we this past Saturday, we go there, we hop in, we see, we, we check it out. They do the thing. We order a couple bowls of ramen. We get, we both tried the tonkatsu ramen because it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like your classic ramen. You got, you know, I got it spicy. She got it with the black garlic in there. Black garlic was way better. Um, and then we got a bowl of the uh, chashu, which is the, you know, the rice bowl with the egg and the freaking braised pork meat. And then uh, we got some, a couple of milk teas. I got taro milk and she got some jasmine milk. So it was pretty good. It was like, okay, we got like a full a full thing here. It looks like really yummy and everything. Their menu's awesome. They got they got takoyaki. They got agadashi tofu. So they got like all the fucking pub food, the comfort food. You can get like soft shell crab wrapped in a bao bun, which is kind of like a fun little unique thing they got going on there. 
And I'm really looking forward to this place. I'm hoping, I'm praying to God. I'm like, please, for the love of God. It would be too good to be true if I just moved into a house that is 12 minutes away from like a legitimately good ramen that is like decently priced, close to home, delicious, somewhat legitimate. Like that would be amazing. And so we sit there, we try it. And the food was like seven out of 10. Like, like just, it was, it was good. It was like, I will definitely be back. I will eat here again for the convenience, the location alone. This is a really good deal. But if I live downtown where all like the good, all the cool restaurants were, where all the hipsters live, where all the people that, uh, that, that walk to places and don't have to drive, you know, if I live like that, although no one in Orlando does that, everyone drives everywhere here. Anyway, but if I live like downtown, like the cool kids, I would probably not pick this place as like a first pick. It's not, it's not that good, but it's, it's good. It's good for, I can't believe we're in the suburbs and there's this place. Uh, I guess that's the perk of sometimes being close to Disney is you get some of these restaurants and they're like, let's try to build a location out here by Disney in case some tourist is staying offsite and wants to, and wants to, has a hankering for some ramen. So shout out to you, Hokusai Ramen and Izakaya. You're new, you're clean. Your menu is fun. Your prices are are good. They're good. They're not great, but they're good. And I love that I can order from a kiosk and not interact with an employee. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good. I'll come back. I will definitely come back. This place is good. I love ramen. I've been having a ramen hankering for a very long time. And it was good to get. And, 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 and shout, last thing I'll say, shout out to these guys. They do the egg right. It is, again, so hard to find. The ramen restaurants that do the egg right, people will just put a fucking hard-boiled egg in a bowl of hot water and be like, it's ramen. It's like, you motherfucker, that's not how you do it. You got to do the Ajitsuke style, you know? There's a little my Sonic the Hedgehog fandom is showing a little bit. You get the soft-boiled egg, you marinate it in soy first, okay? So the egg should look brown as fuck on the outside instead of white because it's been soy marinated, adds a lot of flavor. Soft-boil it so that egg yolk is creamy as fuck when you open it up. And you can mix that in with the ramen. And then you get like the hard, or the not the hard, but you know, the, the soft-boiled egg white. And then the creamy yolk that mixes in with the broth and makes it even fattier, even richer, even more delicious. They did it. They did it right. Most ramen places, they'll just give you a fucking burnt egg. And that sucks. But this place, they did it right. And I'm a fan. So Hokusai Ramen, thank you for existing. Thank you for making my suburban living just a little more bearable. And that's it for what I've been eating. It's ex- it's exciting. It's fun. So if you're in the old, hey, if you're on vacation and you're going to Walt Disney World or something, if you if you're if you're going to like Universal or something, you're too close to better restaurants at that point. Just go just go to proper Orlando and get better ramen. But if you're like if you're over at Disney World, like you're staying at a Disney hotel or you're staying at one of those hotels just outside of Disney World and you're on vacation, I mean, someone listening to this podcast at some point has got to be going to Disney World. I mean, people go there by the millions every year, okay? Hokusai Ramen and Izakaya. It's off the 192, the West Earl Bronson, Memorial Highway. Very good shit. Give it a try. And if you don't like it, tell them the Xbox Two guys sent you. Not me. I didn't do it. All right. Let's move on to what I've been playing because uh, when I'm not eating ramen, I'm playing video games. Just like the kids in the anime you watch. Batman Arkham City. So last week we talked about Arkham Asylum. I finally played it after 8.6 trillion years of it being accessible to me. And now I'm playing Batman Arkham City. And I gotta say Batman Arkham City at first. I was having a very similar experience to it that I had with Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum I actually started playing a year ago. Got about 45 minutes into the game. and was like this game has a really impressive opening. Very cinematic opening, which I appreciate. I like that stuff, but it's not keeping me because the opening gameplay moments of Arkham Asylum are very much like, you're a detective. Mm, Use your detective skills. Walk around. It's slow. What happened here? And I hate that. 
But then once you get into Arkham Asylum, it's like, oh man, this is the gameplay loop is good. It's like, it's like go here, fight some guys, go there, zip line, use your fucking bat hook. It's awesome. Run around, be badass, be Batman, and and you get addicted to it after a while. So I had to come back to Batman Arkham Asylum after like ten months of not playing it, force myself to play a little more. I got hooked. Batman Arkham City, I had like a very truncated, like a replica of that exact same experience. Where, like, I started the game, like, the day after I beat Arkham Asylum and immediately had the same thing where I was like, I really dig this opening. It's a little cinematic. It's pretty cool. It's like, I I like what they're doing here, where they're going with the story. It's open world now. That's pretty fucking cool. 45 minutes in, I was like, I don't like this. Joker shot a bullet through a building. Now Now I'm, like, scanning the environment to try and figure out the trajectory of the bullet to figure out which rooftop it came from. I'm like, do I look like fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson here? I don't want to be fucking figuring out bullet angles. So... I, I fell off the game for like three or four days, forced myself to come back because I'm like, no, you're going to play this game. Forced myself to come back. And now I'm about 75% done with the game. I'm, I'm, I'm probably in the last quarter of the game. Loving it. Absolutely loving it. The game's great. Very, it's, it's a lot more like Batman Arkham Asylum than I was expecting. And it's a lot more different in ways I wasn't expecting. I always just assumed that Arkham City and Arkham Knight were so night and day difference from different from Arkham Asylum just because Arkham Asylum is always pegged as like this more linear, condensed, small scale kind of like not level based, but you know, it's like the small environment. You know, you're in a little map. You're in you're just on the the Arkham Asylum island. It's just you know the, the prison, basically. That's like the whole game. And then Arkham City and Arkham Knight expand it and blow it up and let you go all throughout Gotham City and, you know, do do the whole thing. So I just assumed it was gonna feel a lot more like a like a big departure because because of that but in some ways the game actually feels like like once you're into a mission once you're balls deep into a mission and and, and things like that and you're just in the combat loop and everything it just kind of feels like slightly more refined arkham asylum but then sometimes when you're not doing the main mission you are just exploring the city and going around doing this and doing that and, and and digging through menus and stuff it's like man this game feels just really different in other ways. I guess it's the it's the playing these two games back to back immediately after one another that um that kind of makes the stand out a little more. But um I, I don't know. It's like I, I I thought I would have a more definitive feel as to like which one I preferred because I'd be like, oh I you know, I, I like the open world nature of the sequel or I prefer the more salt you know, solitary refined ver- or confined version of the first game. But I don't really have that that feeling. Like I'm kind of tossed up about which one I enjoy more. I feel like they're both really good. I actually might like Arkham Asylum a little bit more, which I'm kind of surprised because I just assumed I'd like Arkham City more. But I haven't beat Arkham City yet, so it's just maybe too soon to tell. Uh, but I don't know. Batman Batman Arkham City is kind of weird because I feel like it easily allows you to f- just ignore all the side content, but the side content in a lot of cases is almost just as like uh important to the story as as not important to the story but like i don't know the first game makes it a point to make sure every villain is included throughout this the game and because it's just like kind of more traditional linear game you have to encounter every villain that's in the game and do all that stuff throughout your playthrough of batman arkham asylum but in arkham city it's like here are the bad guys you know whatever it's a it's a fucking 12 13 year old game at this point i'm not spoiling the ending or anything but it's like you know like in arkham city it's like okay Mr. Freeze, Penguin, Joker, these are primary bad guys. You will encounter these guys in the Golden Path through the main quest line of this game. But then other bad guys like like Bane or um, 
or like Joker and or not Joker, but uh, like um, Riddler and, and and characters like that. It's like they're kind of pushed out as like secondary side characters, and you don't necessarily have to do their missions and interact with them in order to play through the game. And it just kind of feels weird coming hot off of Arkham Asylum because part of what I loved so much about that game was it was like this crazy ensemble of like all of Batman's biggest enemies all in one night. And like everything that can go wrong is going wrong. And Batman's just keeping his composure and being a badass through it all and kicking ass and getting things back in order. And like, like that's why I love so much about Arkham Asylum, but in Arkham city, it's just like, yeah, yeah. Bane's out here fucking destroying laughing gas cans and he can go fuck himself. I'm going to go chase Mr. Freeze. Cause he's got the antidote. That's going to make me not die. Maybe who, who knows. And so it's just like, it's kind of weird that I can just like run past these things that in the other game would have seemed like totally necessary primary content. But in this game, it's like totally optional B tier stuff. And I don't know if I appreciate that or if I feel like it's detracting from the experience because I always play my open world games like 99% of it, just blasting through the main quest line. And then if I liked it enough, I'll go back and do some side stuff. But that's kind of how I'm playing this game. And I feel like I'm, I'm missing out because content that should be primary in the main quest line is just like pushed out as like side stuff. And it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird contrast to the game that came before, but overall, I mean, that's a nitpick. Like overall, I think the game's great. Um, it's refined. The combat feels a little better. There's more gadgets and gizmos to play with and they feel more thoughtful, more refined. There's a new ways you can interact with them. So like the sandbox is expanded further. Not only that, but it's open world. So the fun toys you get to play with as Batman in an open world environment is much more cool and dynamic than just being this linear island of Arkham Asylum. So I'm a huge fan of it. I'm still really loving it. It's got me in this huge mood where I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to subscribe to HBO Max pretty soon here. I really want to watch the DC animated movies. I, I got got the whole, it took me forever to figure it out, but I got the whole list of like the timeline in order. So I'm kind of looking forward to watching some of those movies. I'm just feeling it out. I'm I'm looking forward to the Suicide Squad, uh, Kill the Justice League. And like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the zone, you know? Like I'm, uh, I, ne- I never give a shit about DC, but right now I'm like really feeling it all. I'm enjoying it. So it's, it's a good time. I'm having fun with them. Just kind of like enjoying this moment right now. I know it's a fleeting little temporary phase I'm going through. So I'm just going to try to enjoy it while it lasts, play through these Batman games and continue to have a great time. And so Batman Arkham city, just like your, um, just like your older sibling. Great game. Great game. Took me way too long to get here, but great game. And um, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I think after Arkham city, I'll probably take a break because in a few weeks, um, suicide squad comes out and then I'll probably play that. And then maybe later in the year or after Suicide Squad, depending on how I'm feeling or what there's time for, I'll go back and probably do Arkham Origins, then Arkham Knight. Because I feel like Arkham Origins is probably going to be way better than people say it is. And that's like one you shouldn't sleep on. Plus, if I'm going to play Suicide Squad and Gotham Knights and all the other Arkham games, you might as well play Arkham Origins as well. So I'm really tempted to actually get a copy of that for the Wii U and bust out my Wii U out of storage and be like, hey, friend, remember me? But the more realistic thing is I'll just download it for like five bucks on Steam and play it on my computer. I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. We don't have to figure that out right now. It's not that important. Uh, The other game I've been playing this week, which I have far less to say about, just want to touch on real quick. Um, I downloaded and convinced Kronky to play with me uh, The Finals, that new multiplayer free-to-play shooter from the... um, from the from the minds of the Battlefield and Mirror's Edge guys. And I thought I was going to like just... I don't know. I thought this game had serious potential to do to me what Apex Legends did, which was like, oh, cool. The guys that make uh, that make Titanfall are making a battle royale. I'll give it a try just because I love Respawn. I love Titanfall. 
So I figured the finals would be a similar thing where I'm like, oh, it's the guys that make Mirror's Edge and Battlefield. That that'll be cool. You know, they're not they're not beholden to EA and they can just kind of do their own fun, unique free-to-play thing. Like, let's see what that's all about. And um, I don't know. I feel like this game is good. It's impressive. It's not quite what I expected, but it didn't hook me. Like, I don't want to play it. Like, I really appreciate the aesthetic of the game. It does have a lot of Mirror's Edge influence and its aesthetic, which I, I love because Mirror's Edge is a series that I just adore so much and I, I know we'll never get another one of those. So um, I love that. And I like Battlefield. I, Battlefield's a game I always like, but I, I, it's, I never love it as much as Call of Duty, but I like it and I appreciate it. And I feel like this game, well, first of all, the movement and the gunplay feels a lot more like a Call of Duty than it does a Battlefield, which is something I wasn't expecting. But you bring over that crazy destructibility that Battlefield's known for with a little bit of the um, kind of visual flair of Mirror's Edge. And then with this uh, with this multiplayer gameplay that is all unique to itself, um, when you have like these small, medium, and heavy characters that all kind of have different pros and cons with these unique multiplayer modes that are kind of like these like heist modes and bank modes where it's like, oh, collect the money, bank it. Three teams all versus one, you know, PvPvP. And uh, it's, it's cool. Like in theory, like it sounds kind of like an overwhelming, unique new multiplayer thing. But when you're playing the game, it's like kind of straightforward, easy to pick up and play. And it feels familiar. Like it has some battlefield sensibility while feeling kind of COD-like. Cronky says it reminds him of that um, Ubisoft Battle Royale that came and went, which I forget the name of. What was it called? Doesn't matter. Don't care. It was here for like a couple days. and then It was here for like a, a few seasons and then it went away. Um, I don't know why I'm forgetting the name of it. But anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's like we played like three or four matches and I, I was like, this is good. I could see why this game will be popular and why people are enjoying it right now. But I'd kind of rather just go play Halo. And then we just went and played Halo instead. And it was like better because it was Halo. So I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I was just in the wrong headspace when I played it. I do plan on going back, giving it another try, trying to get into it a little more. I do tend to play, enjoy games more when I play alone. Like I always insist on trying to do multiplayer because I like the social aspect. I like just catching up with people and using a game as an excuse in the background to like kind of do something with your hands while you while you talk to people and catch up. But when I enjoy gaming the most, it's generally when I'm playing alone. So I'm going to give this game another try, see if maybe I, I like it a little more when I'm just uh, zoning out to a podcast and playing like, like I do uh, when I play my best. Well, you know, when I have my best multiplayer gaming time, it's always when I'm just zonked out playing a fucking uh, podcast in the background and, and, and doing Call of Duty. So... I'm going to try the finals that way, see if it works for me a little more. But like my, my initial takeaway is like it didn't leave a, a, a pretty big impression on me. I just thought, hey, this game is cool. That's fine. I'm going to move on to Halo. Uh, but yeah, maybe after Batman Arkham City, I'll give it another go. So in, in the next couple days here, that should probably be an option. So that's it for what I've been playing. That's it for what I've been eating. Guys, without further ado, let's take a quick break, drink some water. Come back and talk about this uh, Xbox Developer Direct and some other news stories. Uh, I'm excited to get into it. So let's do that right now. All right, let's jump right into the news, starting with the big one, the Xbox and Bethesda Developer Direct, confirmed for next week, January 18th, so from VGC. Xbox and Bethesda will stream a Developer Direct presentation on Thursday, January 18th. It has been announced. Beginning at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, or 3 p.m. Eastern Time if you live in the real world, it will provide fans a look inside a selection of highly anticipated games coming to the Xbox Series S, X, and PC, as well as Game Pass. Presented by the developers themselves, this will include Machine Games Indiana Jones title, Obsidian's Avowed, 
Oxide Games Aura History Untold, and Ninja Theory's Senua Saga 2 Hellblade, or Senua Saga Hellblade 2. The presentation won't include any updates on Activision Blizzard games in Microsoft's words. It will feature, and then it breaks down the four games they're going to talk about, so let's just uh, read these little breakdowns for further context. Indiana Jones, Machine Games, the award-winning studio behind the Wolfenstein series, will reveal their upcoming Indiana Jones game, an action-adventure that puts players in the leather jacket of the legendary archaeologist. Developer Direct will showcase more than 10 minutes of game and developer insights, including details about the game's setting and story, how fans will actually play as indie, additional details from the game uh, from the next globetrotting adventure, and the premiere of the first gameplay trailer. Very excited about that. Hopefully they show lots of gameplay. Uh, Avowed. The team at Obsidian will share a first deep dive into the gameplay experience fans can expect in Avowed. Their upcoming fantasy action RPG is set in the fantastical, vibrant living lands. Learn about how Obsidian's expertise is building worlds with deeper themes, dynamic gameplay, and thoughtful reactivity, uh, reactivity come to life in Avowed, where players will have agency to make choices to shape every step of their adventure. Aura History Untold, here from the leads at Oxide Games, the studio founded by veterans of the strategy genre and creators behind classic games, including Civilization V, as they unveil exclusive new gameplay and share more details about the inspiration, key features, and road ahead for the upcoming historical grand strategy game. Lastly, Senua Saga, Hellblade 2. Ninja Theory takes us behind the scenes at their studio in Cambridge to give us some insight on how they are crafting Senua Saga Hellblade 2. The team will speak to the ambition and meticulous care involved in creating Senua's journey of survival. So those are the four descriptions they provide, and they say that shortly after the developer, ZeniMax Online Studios will host a standalone Elder Scrolls Online presentation, which... No one gives a shit about. And then beginning on 4 p.m. Eastern time, they'll reveal the next major chapter, including the Zone storyline and more coming this year for whatever is happening next in Elder Scrolls Online. Good for them. All right, this is huge. So this kind of, I don't know, there's so many ways we can go with this. First thing, this confirms a pattern, right? Last year, the developer direct, which is right around this very week. Uh, last year, where we got Hi-Fi Rush, surprise drop, went over Forza Motorsport, talked about, what else did they talk about? Redfall. And then they said, we'll talk about Starfield later. So, yeah, I mean, it was, anyway, it was it was awesome. So, this year we get, oh, and Minecraft Legends was the other game they talked about, right? Yeah, so this game, uh, this year, even more exciting. We got Hellblade 2, Avowed, and Indiana Jones, no doubt. All three of those are, like, super hype games. And then Aura, History Untold, with all due respect, I just gotta be honest, I don't care about games like this at all this is a second party game that they have it's a game pass uh game but it's only on pc it's not a console game maybe it'll come to console later but for now it is a pc game these historical grand strategy games while i've never tried one i know people love civ 5 and civ 6 there's six right it's like four five and six were like the, the three bigger ones i don't know but like i remember these games being quite popular people really love them i i've never played these games they're so they're so eye roll boring to me and it comes from an ignorant standpoint because I've never played them, but I just I don't have anything to say about that game. So unfortunately, I am going to have to leave out any further discussion about Aura. Maybe next week when we see it at the Direct, it will change my mind and I'll be like, hey, this game actually looks awesome. I'm excited for it. But for now, just, you know, in the spirit of being honest and, and not bullshitting you and wasting your time, let's talk about the other three games because I'm way more excited about that. So this is a huge deal. Um, Indiana Jones, I, the, I don't know why I was so hell-bent on like, yeah, they'll show it at the Summer Showcase. We'll get, a, like, a, a revealed trailer, see some gameplay, and then they'll give it, like, a vague 2026 date or something like that. I just wasn't expecting them to be able to talk about this game. Not only show it right now in January, but also to be bullish enough 
to include it in a developer direct where you're going to give 10 minutes to the developer to be like, hey, here's the game. Here's what it is in nitty gritty detail. Here's the gameplay trailer. You can assume there's probably going to be some additional gameplay footage in the background while the developers are talking and going over things. So this is going to be a deep dive on a game that we have never seen in action. So this is super exciting. You know, with Hellblade 2 and Avowed, at least those are games we've seen the gameplay of. We've gotten multiple trailers for. We know they're coming this year. Indiana Jones, I don't... That wasn't my expectation that Indiana Jones was coming out this year. I thought this was best case scenario, a 2025 game. So they're pushing for this year. Avowed, Hellblade 2, Indiana Jones, Black Ops Gulf War... I, sorry, Ara, I don't care about you. Like, what the fuck, bro? 2024 is a good year for Xbox. So I'm really excited to see Indiana Jones. I think this is by far my most excited game for a couple of reasons. One, because Machine Games is one of my favorite developers. I just have so much respect for those guys. They have won all the goodwill a team could win with me uh, with, with their Wolfenstein series. I just adore those games. I think they're just phenomenal and that this team is so incredibly gifted and talented. And everything about Indiana Jones thematically seems like it's within their wheelhouse while also in practicality seeming like nothing that they've done before. And, and, and I'm really excited to see what their take is on this because I mean, they, their Wolfenstein games are, are pretty over the top, crazy violent. And you assume Indiana Jones is pretty, um, Indiana Jones is pretty, PG to PG 13. It's it's they're going to have to tone down the violence and the uh the mature the mature content of of what they're what they're used to doing to make an Indiana Jones game. I'm just really excited to see how they translate the things that make them special while also trying to capture a game that truly feels like Indiana Jones uh and then and then leaning into the things that they do that already kind of play well with Indiana Jones. I mean, they make games about fighting Nazis, Indiana Jones is about fighting Nazis in two very different ways that is true but hopefully this is a match made in heaven i'm just i'm just really curious to see what this game is and also this could be such a huge game for xbox i, I know it's not it, it indiana jones does not have the ip strength of spider-man doesn't have the ip strength of like a star wars or something like that but if we're looking at the catalog of all the disney shit that everyone's trying to get their hands on it's like indiana jones it's not a bad place to be if you got indiana jones you got a pretty good game there. You got a pretty good IP on in your hands. And I'm just really excited to see what a machine games, Indiana Jones game looks like. Um, I hope this game is freaking awesome. And it's just, it's pleasant surprise all, all around. Wasn't expecting to see it this soon. Wasn't expecting to see this much of it. Wasn't expecting it to be deemed a 20. Now let, let me be clear. Maybe Debbie Downer, maybe just, maybe I'm just pragmatic. Say what you will. I still don't think this game is a 2024 game. I think they're going to be like, oh, it's coming out in November 2024. And then like in June or September, we'll get the delay announcement that's been delayed till spring 2025. Like, I don't believe Indiana Jones is coming out this year. I do not believe it. I hope I'm wrong, but I do not believe it. Um, still, I'm so excited to see this game. Avowed, that's my most hyped game of the year. That's that's my number one game I'm looking forward to. I cannot wait to see more of this. I cannot wait to not only see more of it, but get to see the developers talk about it because that's the thing is like, I, I hate reading the developer diary blogs where like, mm, here's some words and text. Like I want to see like gameplay matched with like developer diary stuff because that's what sold me on, on Starfield last year was when Bethesda had that 30 minute deep dive in Starfield that like sold me on a game that I otherwise really wasn't that interested in at all, all within 30 minutes. I want to see, a, I want to see Obsidian be able to do that with Avowed which is a game I'm already actually sold on. And I want to see them take it and amp it up and get my hype level to 11. So I'm really excited for that one. And then Hellblade 2, I'm just excited because this game is finally happening and I'm so happy that we're going to 
you know, with, I'm sure at least some of these games are going to get firm release dates from this event. And I'm just so excited to see Hellblade finally get to a point where it's like the game is fucking happening. Get over it. Here's her release date. Here's some gameplay. We're going to stop hiding, you know, hiding the combat from you. We got to get this game out. Like I'm sure Hellblade two will be good. It will be what it is, but I'm ready to see like what Ninja Theory does after this, because I want to see Ninja Theory make like some fucking God of war style game. Um, and right now the thing they're making, I feel like is an unnecessary sequel. So I'm half excited because I liked Hellblade one. I want to play Hellblade two, but I'm also half excited because the sooner we get this game out, the sooner Ninja theory can work on something new. And I really hope it's not Hellblade three. And I really hope it's not, I don't know, something like fucking, what was that one call that they did? I'm forgetting the name of it. Their multiplayer game that, that failed and bombed and went away. I'm forgetting everything today. I just, whatever. doesn't matter. Last game they made, <laughs> but anyway, I'm very much looking forward to this direct. Very excited about it. Now we can kind of assume that this is probably going to be a trend. Xbox is going to do this every year at, at mid to late January, have some kind of developer direct and be like, hey, these are the four big games of our, our year. And I think this is so smart. It really plays into Phil Spencer's, you know, the the thing that we've all speculated that Phil Spencer himself has said, which is that ideally the, the, the plan is to get to a point where Game Pass is being fed at least one massive title a quarter. And while I don't know that, that our history untold necessarily fits the bill of a game like that, the the the, uh, the foundation is still being laid out here. The the idea is still the the point is still made that what Xbox is essentially doing here is they they kick off the year by being like, hey guys, yeah, new year. Last year was cool. All the hype's over. Let's start off your your 2024 by saying like, here's what we're working on this year. Here's what you can look forward to from us. I love that they're doing that and that this is probably a trend we'll see continue going forward. So I'm just so excited about that. And I just think this looks really cool. And it's a good way for Xbox to kind of market and dole out this information that Phil Spencer has been, you know, kind of working towards, which is this whole one big game a quarter thing. You can assume maybe like, actually, I don't, I don't know because while you want to do one big game a quarter, I feel like I feel like Hellblade should be a spring game, but it's too late for them to not have given us a, a date. I don't know. Maybe some, somehow Hellblade's like a May release date, then avowed September and Indiana Jones is November. That way you kind of get like a quarterly release type thing going. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But the, the, anyway, the the idea is there. Um, whether it, it perfectly plays out into this four games once every two and a half months type deal, three months, um, that, that, I mean, that, that doesn't matter. So I'm just excited. I'm looking forward to these games and next week we will talk about that. But yes, as I mentioned at the top of the show, podcast game pushed to Friday morning so that on Thursday afternoon, I can watch this, take my notes, record my podcast, react, and then we can get into it from there. So thank you guys for understanding on that front. But yeah, let's all be hyped guys. This is something to look forward to. It's just exciting that Xbox is, you know, they, they have games to talk about. They have products to deliver on things that we can like look forward to and, and, and start to materialize. So I don't know why I thought we had a better chance of getting fabled before Indiana Jones, but I guess it's Indiana Jones first, but maybe next January we'll be sitting here coming around the table being like, guys, state of the Cake three South of midnight fabled call of duty, black ops seven, the sorcerer strikes back and it'll be awesome. That will be our, our developer direct next year. I don't know. I can't wait. Can't wait to find out. Um, so yeah, there's that. Whew. All right. And then there's only really one other story um, this week. And you know what? I feel like this story would be so much heightened so much more uh, for me if I were still engaged in like uh, Twitter. But thankfully, thank God, I have just really walked away from Twitter in a big way. Um, so a lot of this kind of discourse has passed me by, but we'll read it because it is news nonetheless. And we'll try to we'll try to detract something from it. But, you know, whatever, we'll see. 
We'll, we'll try it. We'll sorry. We'll try to take away something, not detract. But anyway, let's just go into it. So pulling from two stores, kind of stitching it all together to be coherent from VGC, of course. Microsoft is planning on bringing one of its more claimed first party games to competing platforms this year it's been claimed that's according to nate the hate podcast a show which often breaks stories involving the games industry the show did uh did not name a which title it allegedly uh is that will be coming to competing platforms but he noted that in the game that's a game that was in the game of the year conversation the year in which it was released quote in the calendar year 2024 microsoft will bring one of their more acclaimed first party games to competitor system the title i'm referring to was met with high critical acclaim fans loved it and it was in the game of the year conversation in the year it was released. Nate added when they announced when the announcement comes, I think it will be met with a lot of excitement because it's a quality game. I think that this is a smart move from Microsoft from a business perspective. If you're bringing select games to multi-platform to switch to PlayStation, you're doing so because you see the quality of the IP in the franchise and you want to expand its reach beyond just the Xbox. And quote, some fans on social media have speculated that the unannounced title could be Tingle Gameworks Hi-Fi Rush, the action game that was shadow dropped last last year around this time, and which received a strong critical praise. Uh, responding to that claim, however, Giant Bomb's Jeff Grubb said that Rare's Sea of Thieves could also make the jump to Sony and Nintendo's consoles, saying, quote, Sea of Thieves, I'll say I've heard that that was one that might be coming to other platforms. When I first started hearing these rumors, I was like, well, it's probably Sea of Thieves because I've heard that it could come to Switch and PlayStation. Uh, in his new industry newsletter, Game File, former Kotaku editor and Axios reporter Steven Totillo also said that Monday he'd, be, uh, he'd been told by a source that Microsoft is considering bringing Sea of Thieves to PlayStation, possibly for an early 2024 release. Uh, Microsoft has dabbled in multi-platform releases for recent play uh, in the recent past, including ports of the Ori games for Nintendo Switch, as well as continued support from Minecraft on other platforms. Speaking back in 2019, Xbox's first party studio boss, Matt Booty, said the platform holder would be uh, would determine if it made sense to put future games on PlayStation Switch on a per franchise basis. I think the, he says, quote, I think the question is less binary about should it be on Switch, should it be on PlayStation? It's more about does it make sense for this franchise in general? In other words, it's the kind of game. Is it the kind of game where it would benefit from a network effect of being on a bunch of different platforms, or the game where it can be best supported by putting resources and making sure that the platform, things like XCloud and Game Pass and Xbox Live, are really leaning in to support that game? So, with all that said, there's your, there's your story. With all that said, Mike Clark forty four eighty writes in says Nate the hate has made Twitter fun this week. I can't I can't relate because thankfully I haven't been reading. No, I I did jump on Twitter a couple times just to kind of see what the murmurings were. It was that kind of thing. It's like um, it's like when you open a box. You know, it's like when you, you when you get a pizza and you open the box and like you see the pepperoni glistening and everything looks good. The cheese is melty and that like heat wave of the pizza wafts up to your face and you smell the pizza and then you close the box because you're like uh uh-uh, gotta get this bad boy in the car drive it home, and then I can eat the pizza. You know you know that feeling, what I've just described? That was my experience with Twitter this week, where it was like, oh, I know there's a lot of Xbox murmurings going around. Let me see what the internet is. Open up Twitter. It was like a bunch of shit coming out of my phone, spitting in my face. Swiped up, exited out of the Twitter app, locked my phone, and was like, that's enough of that. So, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, okay, first of all, I don't know who Nate the Hate is. This I, I learned about Nate the Hate this week because of this story. I know who Steven Totillo is. I know who Jeff Grubb is. These are more 
I don't want to say reputable because I don't mean to like downplay this Nate the Hate guy in case, you know, in case he's like some really great resource, you know. I'm not trying to say he is or isn't right or or has a good track record. I don't know. I don't know anything about him. I saw some people online being like, this guy makes up shit all the time. Only like one out of every five things he says is, is true. I don't know that that's true. I don't know anything about the guy. I never followed him, never listened to his podcast. So I'm not here to, to make a pass a judgment on him. But I will say... The very notion of Xbox continuing to bring games on a per game basis to other platforms makes sense. And also, did 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 we not expect more of this? I mean, with Ori in the Blind Forest and Ori in the Will of the Wisps, and then th- them being so. And this is the other thing I didn't see people mentioning. Xbox was so okay to just let games like Cuphead, as du- or crazier one, as Dusk Falls, which is a game that they published and, and gave money to and funded partially like let these games just go on to other platforms. I mean, as dusk falls is hitting PlayStation shortly, uh, clearly Xbox has a very different perspective on, on exclusives. I do feel like if a game is big enough, like halo or Starfield or something like that, or maybe Indiana Jones, it's something that they just hold on their platform and say, no, you gotta be on Xbox to play this. But if it's something smaller, like hi-fi rush, or like, or like Ori and the Will of the Wisps or something like that. It's like, why not put it on other platforms or let it go at some point? Because you're at some point, it's like the, there's more to gain by just getting a double dip on another platform. And there's more exposure to get done. I guess it's kind of like this. It's kind of like what like Disney and Universal and Paramount and all these, all these companies hope will happen with the streaming business in its current incarnation. Sure, you can go to the movie theater or you can wait you can wait for Fast and Furious 25 or or Marvel movie 75 or Jurassic Park the park is open for business baby uh to all come to streaming services. You can wait, wait a couple months, they'll all be on streaming services, they're there. That's fine. But you can pay to go see them in theaters and you'll have a better experience, you'll get to be there first, you get to be a part of the conversation and the events surrounding it. And either way, the companies are going to win out because there's that double dip. They're either going to get your money because you subscribe to their streaming service or they're going to get that money because you went out to the theater to see it. It's kind of a similar thing where I feel like, especially with smaller games like Hi-Fi Rush, Xbox looks at them and says, hey, this was a really great get for Game Pass. A game like Hi-Fi Rush is absolutely made to service Game Pass before it's meant to service a la carte purchases. No one expected Hi-Fi Rush to be a game that's like, oh, we're going to sell... 5 million copies, it's going to be a financial success, and we're going to make millions of dollars on it. That wasn't the plan. The plan was, this will be a great get for Game Pass that will generate a lot of buzz. It's a great game. People will love it and play it. Current Xbox Game Pass subscribers will have something really cool to play, and it will give people who aren't subscribed to Game Pass another reason to be like, damn, maybe I should get Game Pass. But after a year, and everyone's played it, and the buzz has come and gone, it's like, well, yeah, man, why, why don't you make some residual money by taking that fucking game, throwing it on the Switch, throwing it on the PlayStation Network, and selling some copies a la carte, sell a couple hundred thousand or a million copies of the game across two other platforms, and make some fucking money, get some money back. And it's like that double dip of, like, maybe if enough things like this happen over time, people will look at a smaller game like a Hi-Fi Rush or an Ori in the Blind Forest and say, oh, yeah, Xbox just put out that new kind of smaller style game. That game looks really cool. I can go subscribe to Game Pass and play it now, but they'll probably bring it to Switch or, or PlayStation like a year or two. It's like, yeah. It's like me with God of War Ragnarok, right? Like, I don't want to buy a PS5. Um, I'm trying my best to not have to buy a PS5. 
And I know that Sony now puts their games on PC after about two years. So I didn't play God of War Ragnarok. I, I want to play God of War Ragnarok. I want to play Spider-Man 2. But I know I can just play God of War Ragnarok probably later this year on Steam. And Spider-Man will probably come to Steam sometime next year in 2025. And that's fine. It means I get to miss out on the early conversation. I get to miss out on the moment. I don't get to play it on the hardware it was originally intended to be played on. That is my loss. But if I want to enjoy these games that way, I'll enjoy them that way. But Sony still wins at the end of the day because people are still going to buy a PlayStation 5 to play Spider-Man. They're not going to wait two years to play on Steam. And... Other people like myself are still going to buy the game on Steam, so Sony's going to make money either way, right? And I just feel like that's kind of what the strategy is. It's not Xbox saying, like, eventually everything will be on PlayStation. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe that happens. I don't really know. I'm really tired of the speculation on that and what everyone everyone's fucking armchair opinion on Game Pass on PlayStation and Xbox doesn't care about uh, exclusives anymore. I, I don't really want to get into that, to be honest. But I think it, it, for the here and now, at least looking at this, at, at this trend we're starting to see, it makes sense. Why wouldn't you take a game like Hi-Fi Rush and go throw it on, on Switch or, or, or PlayStation 5? Now, if we're talking about Sea of Thieves, I think we have a very different conversation on our hands. Where if it's Sea of Thieves, that's because that is a games as a service. And Sea of Thieves has slowly but surely trucked along for the... God, that game came out in, what, 2018? That game's about to be like... Oh my god, that game's about to be like five, six years old six years old oh my god see these has been trucking along for like six years at this point doing great actually it has a really great player engagement it's been a good get for game pass it's been a great get for xbox it's generated a lot of money but at this point i think they they're in the point in see if these lifespan where it's probably like the biggest expansions they're going to do for the game have been done the the peak concurrent player base that they've ever reached has, has been reached and now if you want to breathe some more life into it and get get a second wind in this game a great way to do that would be to say, hey, Nintendo, PlayStation players, you want to jump into Sea of Thieves? It will help populate our servers and give players people to play with and, and reinvigorate this games as a service title that we have that's a roaring success. And that's a that's a good idea. <laughs> and again, maybe a bunch of PlayStation and Nintendo players will play Sea of Thieves and go, this game is pretty fucking good. I could have enjoyed it many years ago if I had Game Pass, if I owned an Xbox. And so it's another one of those things that's like, yeah, I mean... You can you can breathe second life into some of these games. You can you can expand the player base of an online service game. You can make money from two different factions because some people will never buy an Xbox no matter what. Some people will never subscribe to Game Pass no matter what. Might as well sell them a copy of Hi-Fi Rush and make a little bit of money off them anyway, right? My plan when all is done said and done is to not buy a PlayStation 5 this generation. Maybe I'll cave and, and buy a PS5 eventually like I did last last time with PS4. But if I can get through the whole generation without buying a PS5, Sony will still get money from me because I will buy God of War. I will buy Spider-Man on Steam when they come out. Absolutely. I, I, I will buy Ratchet & Clank, although it's already on Steam. I will buy it at some point. I, it's just in, in my backlog. But like they'll make money off of me with PlayStation 5 games even though I don't have a PS5. So why can't Xbox do the same? I don't get it. So I don't know. Is it Hi-Fi Rush? Is it Sea of Thieves? Is it another game we're not even considering? I don't fucking know. Is it the end of the world? No. Does it mean Xbox is giving up on consoles? No. Does it mean Xbox is giving up on exclusive content? No. <laughs> like, are, are people overreacting? Is Twitter probably on fire? Because if Twitter's not on fire, then, then Elon doesn't get paid? Probably. So calm the fuck down. Everything's fine. And also, I, I just gotta say... Xbox is in a really good position right now where there are so many good games coming 
And there's so much to look forward to. And Game Pass is such a strong proposition. And Xbox hardware could be had for cheaper than ever before with excellent specs. That even though there are gripes and things I would do differently and ways Xbox could be better and things could be better. It is such a fucking good time to be a person who's invested the Xbox ecosystem and is gaming here. So it's like, bro, like things are good right now. <laughs> Calm down. Be happy. Be excited. Like look forward to some shit. N- not only that, or, or I will say like if there has to be any criticism, it, it it must be said I would like to see Xbox focus more on the, the strength of their console brand. I don't want everything to be about Game Pass. But that being said, I don't think putting a game like Hi-Fi Rush on Switch a year after it's been on Xbox is cannibalizing Xbox series console sales. I mean, what we learned last year was apparently Xbox Series hardware sales between both S and X combined was like over 7 million units, which is abysmal compared to PlayStation sold something like 25 million PS5s. So like you kind of have to understand the position Microsoft is coming from because even though personally I want to see Xbox's number one priority be the console, I, I, I love Xbox as a console way more than I love Game Pass as a service. And I want to see the console continue to be the main focus. I can live in a, I can happily live in a world where we don't have Game Pass, but we do have Xbox. I'd be sadder if we had Game Pass, but no Xbox hardware. So that 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 is one thing I just want to mention is like that's the uphill battle Xbox is against because they got great games on the way. They had great games the past couple of years, 2022 being kind of an exception. But things are looking up for the brand. They have the coolest consoles they've ever had out in the market. Great hardware, great marketing, great leadership, really good direction we're headed in, strong acquisitions. So things are looking good for Xbox. But even with that said, they still sold a fucking third of consoles compared to what the PlayStation 5 sold last year. Even though Xbox has a $300 console and PlayStation is a $500 console or four four to $500 console. So... It's just rough out there. So, like, can you really look at Microsoft and what they're doing here and be like, yeah, this is dumb. Why are you doing this? It's like, no, man, because they're losing even when they do the right thing by putting all their great games exclusively on their console. They still lose because these motherfuckers go, "Mm, PlayStation's where all my buddies play FIFA 27. So that's where I'm going to go. That's cool, man. Teach their own. But Xbox is fighting a losing battle trying to just support the console alone. So they got to diversify. They got to pull you into Game Pass by by tantalizing you with a little bit of a little bit of Xbox magic on the Switch or the PlayStation here or there. I, I don't I don't blame them for throwing things at a wall and seeing what stick, honestly. And I think we're getting more and more into this world where like no one would have ever guessed that PlayStation would be putting their games on PC a couple of years ago. No one would think that would ever be a thing. Remember in 2018 when the discussion was like PlayStation's not going to allow crossplay. What do they have to gain from doing crossplay? That's never going to happen. Now you can't imagine a world where you can't crossplay with all your bestest friends on PlayStation. Can't imagine it. So PlayStation's dabbling their dabbling in in the PC space and they're allowing crossplay. Xbox is putting some smaller titles on Switch and PlayStation. Nintendo is being Nintendo and probably making a weird fucking Mario hentai game that I don't want to know nothing about. It's all happening. The world's changing and you got to adapt. You got to adapt with it, okay? You little fucking Xbox and ponies. So get off your fucking Twitter. Go outside. Grab a handful of, of, of the ground, of earth. Grab some dirt, some grass, some bugs and grub and all that. And put it to your face and go. And then rub your fingers down your face and let the mud run on you and, and, and do like a war paint type thing. And become become a true console warrior. Maybe go storm 
<laughs> maybe go storm the Microsoft campus in, in Seattle, Washington and <laughs> demand demand they stop supporting the PlayStation. I don't fucking know. What am I saying? I think I'm inciting right. All right, let's move on, guys. That's it for all the big news stories this week. We only got two of them, but hey, they're worth talking about. It's news. It's big news, baby. So let's wrap up. Before we get into the comments, the best part of the show, let's wrap up real quick with the important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not quite enough. Important enough to warrant their own discussions. We're not going nuts here. But hey, good news. I was actually really excited to see this one. From Windows Central, they report, Pal World will be coming to Game Pass on January 19th. So that's, uh, what is that, next Saturday? That's next Friday, you idiot. That's next Friday, you dumb person. Uh, Yeah, so Pal World, that's the Pokemon with guns game. That's going to be in day one Xbox Game Pass game. So that's a new surprise. We just got this week and I'm, I'm looking forward to giving that game a try. So I think that's actually a really good Xbox Game Pass get. So cool stuff there. Uh, next up, Larian say that they will fix the Baldur's Gate 3 save bugs on Xbox. So that the, the update is coming on the 16th of January, which is next Wednesday. Nope, that's next Tuesday. I'm really bad at the calendar, huh? Um, so, hey, if, if you're experiencing that bug, they're, they're offering a an update, a fix for it very soon. So here you go. Uh, next up, uh, Shuji Utsumi has been appointed as president slash COO and CEO of Sega of America in Europe. The change was announced by Sega's parent company, Sega Sammy, this week. Utsumi has a storied career in the video games industry, including being instrumental to the founding of Sony Computer Entertainment, uh, Entertainment and launching the PlayStation in North America. However, fans may know him for something he worked on before that, where he helped launch the Sega Dreamcast outside of Japan and served as the executive producer of dozens of Sega classic hits. Actually, that was after Sony, because Sony was in the mid-90s, or PlayStation was in the mid-90s, Dreamcast was in the late-90s, so get it together, boy. Uh, Utsumi originally departed Sega in the early 2000s, where he went on to work at Disney Interactive. Unfortunately, he was vital in bringing, bridging the gap between Disney and Square Enix, which helped establish Kingdom Hearts, which is the reason why I don't sleep well at night, because Kingdom Hearts exists. Can you believe they're making a fourth one? Anyway, next up, Twitch. Twitch is set to lay off about 500 members of its staff, according to a new report. Bloomberg says the Amazon-owned platform will reduce its workforce by 35% which is really awful. Twitch declined to comment on the story, uh, but the latest blow is in a difficult period where the streaming front runner is struggling. Last year, the company fired over 400 uh, employees and recently they just pulled out of South Korea and aren't even servicing that market anymore. So things are getting really rough over there for Twitch, unfortunately. Next up, Unity has announced that they intend to lay off approximately 1,800 employees, around 25% of their workforce. So that's following all the Things they've been going over, going on with uh, since last October. They lost their CEO. They tried that new payment thing that backfired and got them in so much trouble where everyone hates them now. And people are really anti-Unity after that new pay structure they tried to implement. And uh, now they are facing even further um, financial struggle. I mean, that the whole reason they tried that shit in the first place was because things weren't looking good financially. Now things are getting even worse. So unfortunately, we got more layoffs there. And then finally, some good news to end on, you know. Trying not to end on too much negativity. A little, a little uplifting, fun fluff story here. After nearly uh, a year of alleged images appearing and, and rumors and talk surfacing, the officially licensed Xbox Series S, as in Samuel, toaster has been confirmed as spotted by retailer Sleuth Wario64. The Xbox Series S two slice toaster is now available for purchase in the United States via Walmart, and it retails for $40 US. That's right. This toaster looks like a Series S. 
and it has an RGB mount on it. And when your toast pops up from the toaster, it has the Xbox logo printed on it in toast. So I don't really want to talk about this anymore. It's making me uncomfortable. Why is there an Xbox toaster? I am torn between whether or not I should get this for my kitchen since I have a house now and I can display fancy home appliances like an Xbox toaster. And uh, I'm also torn between that and being an adult and not having an Xbox toaster. So I don't know. But guys, the Series S toaster is not only its own thing in and of itself, but it's apparently part of a new wave of licensed Xbox gear set to launch soon, including a Xbox ramen bowl, an RGB mouse pad, storage boxes, pen holders, and more. So that's fucking awesome. And I lied about the RGB thing for the toaster. I misread that's not part of the toaster. It's part of uh, something else. Cool. Now that I have established I'm a liar and I'm untrustworthy, let's move on. Guys, that's it for everything this week, except for the best part of the show, the comments, the shout-outs from YouTube. You know how it goes. Head on over to YouTube.com. Drop a comment on the latest episode of the podcast. I read it on the show, and uh, we, we talk about it here. You can say anything nice, anything mean, anything in between, but what I ask more than anything is you leave a comment if you want to engage with the show, which I always enjoy talking to you guys through. And uh, if you have a podcast service you want to support that you use to listen to the show and you want to support the show, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google, SoundCloud. What, what is SoundCloud? What, no, it's a uh, it's freaking Spotify. Whatever it is you use, leave the show a five-star review. It would greatly help. Again, if you enjoy the show and you genuinely would like to give it a five-star review, I'd greatly appreciate your feedback. If you don't love the show enough to give it a five-star review, but you still feel inclined to review the show, don't. Just don't leave a review. So thank you, as always. Appreciate you guys. Wouldn't do the podcast if you guys didn't listen, leave comments and things like that. I love the two-way communication. And I love the engagement. So starting off this week, we got Cody Pavon, 9208, who wrote in and says, Jesse, hey, Jesse, been a minute. Although I read that initially in my head as, hey, Jesse Bean. Uh, that's, you didn't call me Jesse Bean, did you? No, he says, hey, Jesse, been a minute since I've hopped in the comments section because may, uh, I, I, because as a mailman working through the Christmas season, it was rough for me. Just want to say I've stayed listening week to week and through a lot of the rough days I have had your podcast, or sorry, a lot of the rough days I had your podcast, it didn't fail to put a smile on my face. Thank you, Jesse. I hope you have a fantastic 2024 in your brand new home. Uh, thank you, Cody. I really appreciate the kind words. And thank you, dude, thank you for what you do because... Uh, I, I work in an industry where we work with many different types of businesses and I am very I am very well aware of how fucking hard the postal service, FedEx, Amazon, these various careers uh, and such how fucking hard these guys work and uh you guys you guys make the fucking holiday season happen. You guys are how grandma gets her Christmas card all the way up in Connecticut so she doesn't feel like I forgot about her and how you know we're able to connect with one another, send presents, send holiday cards, stay connected with dis distant family and friends. And, uh, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for working hard. And I know it sucks when everyone else is off and, and you're out making stuff happen. So cool. Thank you, man. And thank you for listening to the podcast. I am, uh, above all again, that's that, that shit. I, I literally smiled when I read your comment not to get too mushy, but, uh, showed it to my girlfriend and I was like, you see this comment? I was like, that's why, I, that's why I do my podcast. Um, cause genuinely, man, like that's, that shit means the world to me. Like when I was in college, fucking like waiting tables on Christmas Eve night and getting home at like two in the morning on Christmas Eve, like the, the stuff that like kept me insane, kept me in good spirits was like having an hour long drive home and being able to like, listen to like Greg Miller and Colin Moriarty, like talk about poops on like podcasts beyond back in the old IGN days and stuff like that. So like 
being able to give someone that kind of experience with my stupid fucking podcast today in any shape or form is literally what it's all about for me. So I appreciate you uh, writing in and hope you have a wonderful year as well, Cody. Uh, shout out to 2024. It's going to be a good year. Get that blood pressure medication. <laughs> That's what I got to do this year. <laughs> Arctic Chief writes in and says, hello, Jesse. Hello, everyone. I know we're not supposed to apologize for not commenting, but I'm sorry anyway. Arctic Chief, that is strike two. I will come to your house and swipe all your toilet paper so you'll have a poopy butt if you do that one more time. You said, I've been here every week, but the last few weeks I've had to work Wednesdays, and that messes up on me submitting my comments. I always listen day of, and then I re-listen again on Wednesdays to refresh my Xbox on news. So I'm sorry I missed the last few weeks. Arctic Chief, I think I genuinely uh, may... You may be entitled to compensation if you are listening to Xbox on not once a week, but twice a week. So I deeply apologize for that, uh, but also thank you so much. Um, he said, on to my actual comment, though. hey oh, new year. Hopefully everyone had a good and safe time. I was able to play through both Spider-Man 2018 and Miles Morales, 100% completion on both games. Now ready for Spider-Man 2. I watched my friends play through the entire Mass Effect trilogy back on the Xbox 360 and watched my brother play through the entire Arkham games. So now my question for you is this. If you watched a friend play through them, start to finish, do you feel the need to play them for yourself as well? I never played the games I mentioned that I watched. Hmm. This is a really good question. I, I, I tried to think about this a little bit because uh, I, I read your comment right as I was like getting getting in the car, leaving the office, heading home. And so I was like thinking about it for a little bit. I was like, huh, this is a really good question. First of all, shout out to Spider-Man. Glad you enjoyed those games. But um, yeah, so it, it, it depends. It's a game by game thing. But also I think ultimately the, the simple answer is if you feel like you got out of that game what you wanted to get out of that game by watching someone else play it. Like I know like long plays are a huge thing. People like to go online and just watch YouTube long plays of games and then not even actually play the game themselves. Like if you feel like you get a full and complete experience out of that and like you're satisfied with, with the game after that, who am I or anyone else to tell you that you're playing the game wrong or you didn't really experience the game or you didn't really, you know, you're not an authority. You can't speak to this game because it's like, whatever, man, it's games are for pure enjoyment. And if you garnered enjoyment out of that experience and feel content with moving forward, then like, it's all that fucking matters. But that being said, technically you didn't play the game. <laughs> so even though it's like, you know what happens in the story, you know what the game is inside and out because you watch the game happen. You get the story, you get the sound design, you get what the gameplay loop is. You understand like the logic behind the game. You still don't know what it's like to play the game and you still don't have the skill that you acquire, you know, from playing like, like, um, like Arkham, like you never acquired the skill to do like combos as Batman. You never got the skill in mass effect to become good at, I assume the shooting. Cause I know this series becomes more and more of a shooter as you get to two and three. So you don't know what it's like to be a proficient player of the game, but you have like a very close relationship with the game nonetheless. So I don't know, man. Like, I'll put it like this. I, I used to watch my brothers play a lot of games that I just wouldn't play, especially horror games, because especially when I was a kid, I was like, I don't want to play games that are super horror or eerie or kind of like whatever. So, like, I would watch my brothers play, like, Alone in the Dark, Resident Evil. Hell, I'd watch my brothers play Final Fantasy all the time. I watched my brothers play Metal Gear Solid all the time. I'd watch my brothers play uh, games like Heavy Rain on the PlayStation 3. I watched a lot of Heavy Rain. But all these games I just listed, I never played. 
I only recently got into Resident Evil, the Resident Evil franchise, and the only ones I've really played are three remake and seven. I did eventually go back and play Metal Gear Solid One myself on the PS3, but I still never played MGS2, MGS3, MGS4, five, any of those games. But a lot of these games, I feel like I have a deep understanding of and experience with because between my three other brothers that did play these games, I spent so much time watching them play it. So I get that feeling like I will probably never go back and play Heavy Rain. I will probably never go back and play Dino Crisis or Alone in the Dark. I will never go back and play Siren. I will never go back and play uh, Painkiller or something like that. You know, like I'm just thinking of like games. Actually, Max Payne were, were some of those games. I never played Max Payne 2. I watched my brother play it. Um, but I played Max Payne 1, and I will play Max Payne 2 when the remastered collection comes out. But the point is, a lot of these games, it's like, I'm okay with the fact that I'll never play these games. But I feel like I have a deep familiarity with Metal Gear Solid 2 and Final Fantasy 7 because my brothers play these games, and I was around them all the time, and I watched them a lot. I feel content knowing I'm not going to play Final Fantasy 7. I want to go back and play... Alan Wake, or Alan Wake, uh, Max Payne 2. I want to go back and play, eventually someday for myself, uh, Resident Evil 2. I'll play the remake. Or Resident Evil 4, another game I watched but never played. So, like, the, they're, it's a case-by-case thing, right? Um, I would say, like, if you're watching someone play something that's, like, almost entirely narrative-driven, like a Telltale game, or, like, As Dusk Falls, or, like, you know, something like that, like one of those choice-based narrative games, if you watch someone else play, it's like, that's pretty much especially if you play it together where it's like you make the decisions together like oh let's choose b you know and you play it together as a team those games especially it's like yeah i mean yeah you don't really need to play them yourself but i don't know man i feel like the more gameplay focused the game is the more there is to still the more value there is still to extract from playing it yourself. So maybe like Mass Effect is kind of a gray area where you're like, I'm satisfied. I saw the whole story through the end. I don't need to go play it. I'm good. But like you're playing Spider-Man right now. You played one in Miles Morales and you're about to play two, right? Those games are narrative driven, but they're also heavily gameplay driven. And I'll say as someone who's also played 2018 Spider-Man and Miles Morales, if I watch someone play those games, like as a movie, that'd be fine. But if I wasn't the one feeling the satisfaction of swinging around New York City, punching bad guys in the face and doing all the shit you do in that game, making spider gadgets and throwing spider bombs and shit like that. I would sure feel like I got shortchanged because the fun of Spider-Man is not just how cool the story is and how good the visuals look and how great the sound design is. It's how good it feels to play that game. So the more gameplay oriented it is, maybe I'd say the more it's like you kind of owe it to yourself to go back and play it. But again, it goes back to what I started with. I, I, I think if if you feel like you got a satisfying, complete experience out of just watching it, I mean, that's all that matters, really. You know, I don't know. Halo Prime, Halo, the ultimate example. Actually, Halo is not the ultimate example. Mario's the ultimate example. Can you imagine watching someone play Mario Galaxy and being like, oh, I saw someone play Mario Galaxy start to finish. I don't need to play it myself. I'm good. No, nah, bitch, you play Mario Galaxy. That's the best game of all time. You play, you play Mario Galaxy. But uh, great question. Thanks for writing in. I'd be curious to know what other people think about that. I don't know. I mean, more and more these days, like watching people play games on Twitch, on YouTube, it's a bigger and bigger thing. And then, of course, we all grew up, you know, watching our friends play, sharing with our brothers, taking turns playing, things like that. So we all have many experiences growing up, right, where we watched someone else play or we shared or we didn't have a complete solo experience playing a game. 
And so I'd be curious. I know my, my girlfriend often likes to watch me play games. Like she, she, she won't play it. But like if I'm playing a game, she'll, she'll watch and be like, Oh, I was enjoying that game. Like red dead redemption two. When I played red dead redemption two, that was a fucking 50 hour movie for her. She, she didn't want to play it. She wanted to watch me play it. And then it, it inspired her to go play grand theft auto five. And then she played all of that by herself, but she didn't want to go back and play red dead redemption two. Cause she felt like she already gotten everything out of it by watching me play it. But then she went and played GTA five and was like, damn, that was a good game. So I don't know. It's just, I don't like to, I don't like to put a hard, fast rule on anything. It's like, who, who am I, or who is anyone to tell you what the proper way to experience something is? It's like, um, it's like cocaine. They say you're supposed to like snort it, but like personally, I prefer to rub it in between my toes. I just think it, I just think it tastes better that way. All right, let's move on. Wookie 808 wrote in and says, I wish Xbox would release a competitor to the PS5 pro. The obvious solution is to do a series X pro. That's all you have to call it. It doesn't uh, make sense to do a Series S Pro, but the Xbox X Series X Pro uh, needs to be on the level of the PS5 Pro. And that would be smart, in my opinion, especially with GTA 6 uh, right around the corner and so many people will get a PS5 Pro just to play that. I'm a huge fan of new hardware and hopefully Xbox reconsiders missing this opportunity for the Pro model of the X. Wookie, I appreciate you writing in about this because I think I share pretty much the exact same sentiment with you. And I feel like there's some hypocrisy with this because... This is, I think, the maybe one of the most hypocritical things Phil Spencer's ever done, where Phil Spencer recently was cited saying that they're, they they absolutely need to take care of, number one, their 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 console customers, the people who invested in their hardware. Those are the, the players and the fans they need to service and take care of, number one, the, the most above all else. And number two, when you look at the Xbox One X and the Xbox Series X, the marketing behind all both of those pr- platforms was basically like the ethos of those platforms was basically hashtag never again, because Xbox one was a little underpowered compared to PS4 when it came out in 2013 and Xbox took that so fucking personally. And Phil Spencer, when he came into power a few years after the Xbox one came out, took that so personally that he made it his objective to put out the most powerful console ever made. Eight teraflops, twelve teraflops, whatever you know, and they and they carried that through with the Xbox Series X, the most powerful console ever made. And now they're doing this double speak bullshit where they're like, we already have a pro model. It's called the Series X. The base model is the Series S. It's like so you're saying your base model is woefully underpowered compared to the base model of the PS5, and you're okay with that? And your pro model is going to be woefully underpowered compared to PlayStation's upcoming pro model? Like, why would you? Why would you say that's such marketing bullshit? Like, why would you say that? That makes your brand look weak and dumb. That's stupid. So I'm with you. I think, I think like, here's the, here's the, I want it, but I get why not. I also want a Xbox series X pro. It is, I think necessary because in order to keep the optics in place and to show that you are just as serious about your hardware as the competition and to show that you take it just as seriously as the competition and to show that you care about the fans just as much as the competition cares about their fans and their market, you got to put out a box like this because that pro model, while it's barely going to sell any units, while it do, these pro models, they, they're not huge system sellers. Like people, so many more people are going to buy a series S 
or a discless PS5 or regular PS5 or regular Series X, so many more people are going to buy that platform over the Pro model because people always go for the cheaper SKU and they don't need the latest and greatest, biggest, sexiest tech. Not everyone buys the iPhone Max XL, but they all buy the iPhone, right? You know, I got the Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra. Most people just get the fucking Samsung Galaxy S23. That's it. But I know that I'm the exception. I know that most of you listening are the exception because we're the hardcore fans. We're the crazy people silly enough to sit here and record and listen to podcasts about Xbox. We are the hardcore base that they need to market to and be like, yeah, here's your pro model. We care. We're not going to let PlayStation take the most powerful console crown from us. We're not going to let PlayStation cater to their most hardcore audience by giving them a pro model and then let you guys just sit around kicking rocks waiting for something to happen. Like, here you go. So I think in that regard, Xbox needs to do a pro model. It's absolute bullshit that they're not like, yeah, we're doing a pro model. But on the other hand, I get why they're not in the sense that the lesson we learned so far into the Series X generation, especially last year with PlayStation 5 selling over 25 million units and Xbox Series consoles combined selling just over 7 million units is that it does not matter what PlayStation does. It does not matter what Xbox does. PlayStation wins, Xbox doesn't. It's just like what's happening in iPhone. More and more every day, iPhone is becoming the dominant platform. It's becoming the dominant phone for everyone. Even though Android is, actually Android used to be ass back in the day, but Android's great now. And even though Samsung's making the greatest phones they've ever made and Google's making some of the coolest phones they've ever made and various Chinese manufacturers are making some of the coolest, most innovative phones we've ever seen, doesn't fucking matter. People in droves every day are leaving Android and joining Apple. It doesn't mean Android's failing. Android's still the most widely used operating system on mobile, but the iPhone is by far the number one best-selling phone and it grows and grows every day. It doesn't matter how many megapixels they put on a Samsung camera. It doesn't matter how many times the new Pixel phone can fold in half. It doesn't fucking matter. It is it is a snowball that has picked up so much momentum and speed at this time that it's just going to keep rolling and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that is iPhone. Nothing you can do about it. It doesn't matter that iPhone is boring as fucking hell, hasn't had a single innovative feature in like fucking seven years at this point doesn't matter that the last five iphones have looked the fucking same and done nothing special doesn't matter because iphone is a great product it is a super reliable product it has a great user experience and the messaging has gotten away it's past the point where apple can control it just like for playstation's past the point where sony can control it playstation is the de facto place to play video games if you want a home console gaming experience not Xbox. Doesn't matter how many game passes, doesn't matter what great games they come out with, doesn't matter how pro their next console is. People are just going to naturally go. I got a coworker who was on Xbox, then Xbox 360, then Xbox One. He had the fucking Xbox One. And then he subscribed to Game Pass, said, Game Pass is awesome. Played a bunch of games on Game Pass. And I said, yo, you're going to pick up a Series S or X? And he goes, yeah. And then he bought a PS5 and now he doesn't play Xbox anymore. I don't fucking know what to tell you, man. I don't know what to tell you. Starfield, he, he's like, I, he, he always goes, my favorite game of all time is um, Fallout New Vegas. I'm like, hey, the guys that make Fallout New Vegas, well, not those guys, but, you know, the guys that make like Fallout 3 and 4 and then Obsidian made Fallout New Vegas. Well, they just made a new game called Starfield. You know, if you like Elder Scrolls and Fallout, you'll love this game. Also, the guys that made Fallout New Vegas, they're an Xbox-owned team. So now they're going to make Xbox-only games. So like the Xbox Series X should be a really good console for you. He's like, he goes, I don't care. And he bought a PS5. And it's like, 
and, and that's obviously one little anecdote that means nothing in the grand scheme of things, but I think it is wholly emblematic of like what's going on in the world, which is just that we're at this like, and I hate to say, use the stage and maybe, maybe the phrase, and maybe I'm using it wrong, but the, the late stage capitalism, this is the thing where it's not about real competition. It's just about which brand is the most powerful and PlayStation's more powerful. And so while I want a series X pro and you want a series X pro, and it's, obvious as hell that Xbox needs to make a Series X Pro in order to do right by its most hardcore users. I look at 7 million Xbox Series S's and X's sold compared to 25 million PlayStation 5's last year. I'm like, well, yeah, man, these Pro models barely sell to in the, in the first place. Like if Sony, let's say Sony only sells 3 million PlayStation 5 Pro's when they come out, 3 million PlayStation 5 Pro's, that means Xbox would probably only sell like 750,000 to 1 million Xbox Series X pros, if that. And so if you're Xbox, you're like, why are we going to spend all this money and time R&Ding this mid-cycle refresh that's not going to sell enough to justify its existence? But we know as hardcore fans, it's like, you guys should probably do that anyway because it's less about the money, more about the optics. It's about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about showing that your dick's big too. Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra, it's one of the best-selling phones it's dwarfed in sales compared to the iPhone. In my opinion, way better phone, can do way more, looks way better. The operating system is more, I don't know, I, I've grown to actually really like Samsung's One UI, even though I used to hate it. Um, the newer version of it, I love it. It's, it's really good. But doesn't fucking matter how good it is because everyone's going to fucking buy an iPhone and make fun of me and, and everyone else for being a green bubble because that's just how it is. The, the, man, now I sound like one of those people. I'm like, Fuck capitalism. <laughs> I mean, but it, I, you know, you laugh, but it's kind of true. It just is that it's that thing, man. It's like, it doesn't matter about who's better. It doesn't matter about who has the better product or who has the best value or has the best service. Sometimes the brand just gets so big that like, there's nothing that can be done. And unless Apple, un unless like, unless like Tim Cook is like, Hey, I'm gay. And now I'm going to make all of you gay too. And if you don't turn gay, your iPhone will light on fire and tell your dog that um, it's disowned or something like that. Unless unless something like that happens, people are not going to just leave iPhone in droves, you know? So I don't, I don't know why that's what would have to happen, but unless something crazy like that happens, people are pretty well taken care of on Apple's ecosystem. They, they have a great ecosystem. They have a great device. And same goes for PlayStation. They have a great ecosystem. They have great games. They have a great platform. And there's a lot of people there that are like, Hey, PlayStation's been good to me all these years. Why would I go to Xbox? And and uh, <laughs> there are all these people that are like, yeah, Xbox is fine, but all my friends are on PlayStation. I want to go to PlayStation. And you know, a Pro X isn't going to do that. A, a Series X Pro isn't going to isn't going to do that. Unfortunately. Anyway, what are we even talking about? Oh, that's right, gay Apple. Um, Sam Frito wrote in and says, Arkham in a nutshell, Batman Arkham in a nutshell. You don't have to be the best Batman to play Batman. But when you do get shoved under the rug, Joker always says some entertaining things. Dude, I hate that. Every time you die in these Arkham games, the little like death thing it does where it's like it's like a black screen and then like Joker or Mr. Freeze or Harley Quinn or someone will be like, oh, Batman, you're going to die. And then it's like you got to wait four seconds and then you can reload. And I'm like, can I just turn that off and make the reload like slightly faster? Uh, anyway, Sam Frito, hope you're having a great weekend. I hope you're having a great week. It's not the weekend. I'm an alcohol, so I think it's the weekend. Mike Clark coming back with a big old comment. Uh, let's uh, let's pick and choose here because we got a lot here. 
Hope everyone had a safe and happy new year. Finally made it to my favorite day of the week and the best five-star Xbox podcast of 2024. Thank you, sir. Walmart, Target, and Mayor. Oh, yeah, Mayor. It's it's Mayor, right? It's like pronounced Mayor, but it's M-E-G-E-R, right? I know which one you're talking about. I, I recognize the logo. I've never been to one, though. Arkham series is fantastic. Yeah, but that's a yeah, it's a good one. It's a, yeah, I guess it used to be Kmart here, but Kmart is Nomas. Uh, Arkham series is fantastic, and I'm glad you finally got around to playing Asylum. But don't over Asylum, but don't overlook Origins. Push X and punch a motherfucker in the face had me rolling, and is so true. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm very much looking forward to continuing the series. I do plan on playing Origins, so yeah. Oh, here you go. You said the new Like a Dragon Warhammer Alone in the Dark. Oh yeah, we're getting Warhammer this year too. Alone in the Dark games look pretty badass, along with Hellblade 2 Avowed, with Chess Hair, <laughs> are the Xbox games I'm most excited about for 2024. Hope they have another developer direct sometime in early 2024. Well, boy, have we got good news for you. Yeah, I love this. You said, you saying you don't, you not liking Hellblade proves you are dumb, lack chest hair, and why don't, <laughs> and why you don't have a pickly wiggly winky face. I love that. And by the way, I didn't say I don't like Hellblade. I liked the first Hellblade a lot. I played the first Hellblade. I talked about it on this very podcast. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm a fan of Hellblade. I just don't think it necessitates a sequel. That's all I'm saying. Finally got around to looking at my end of year numbers on Xbox. Played 368 hours. My top five games were Master Chief Collection, Wasteland 3, Like a Dragon Ishin, Outer Worlds, and Darksiders with Gears Tactics just missing out. It's a pretty good lineup. I really want to play Wasteland 3. Every time I try... It doesn't click with me, but I really want to make it click. Oh, here, you kind of talked to something we just spoke about. Does it really matter having the most powerful console? Has not helped the Xbox as a brand at all, so let the Xbox on Twitter worry about that stuff. It's the games that count, baby, and that's where I hope Xbox continues to focus. I agree, but the... I, I agree, but only to a point because it makes Xbox look bad if they don't have a new premium console, but PlayStation does. And it's just... I, I guess it's one of those things where it's like, Xbox needs purely goodwill and no badwill. So it's like anything that could be neg- negative press or spotlight like that, y- you want to avoid it. Although I do think you're right. I think the overwhelming majority of people really just don't don't care at all if there's a pro console or if it's the most powerful or whatever. Um, I, th- I think you're right. Going to keep asking until it happens. Uh, so tell us about this live show. You're going to start doing great show and have a fantastic week. What live show do you want to do? Please tell me what your ideas for a live show like like live stream a show on Twitter or like live stream me in the shower because nudity is becoming more and more okay on Twitch. Like what, what, what are you asking for? And then P, you said, P.S. Ben Shapiro is my Jewish spirit animal. <laughs> oh, because he, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you for writing in Mike Clark. Hope you're having a wonderful week and God bless you. God bless us all one and all. All right. We got a double header from Cronky here. Who has some good questions. Followed by a, a roundout comment from Headhunting Halo, but we'll get to him in a minute. Kronky says, Starfield will not have a cyberpunk-style redemption arc. I called the negative reception towards this, uh, towards it the second Microsoft bought Bethesda, and I'm calling this now. The Xbox tax is real, not because of conspiracies, but because of historical fact. If a game is high-profile and is hated, Halo, Starfield, and if it is low-profile, pro- it can be very quietly enjoyed, Sea of Thieves, or ignored. Here's to 2024, the year that Stalker is the only game Xbox affiliated that will be well received, but I suspect quietly so. Avowed will never, Avowed never had a chance. Um, Stalker Two is going to get 10 out of 10s from every outlet if it comes out this year, uh, and I, and I don't mean this to be uh, mean because I'm very sensitive to the the shit going on 
um, between UK and Russia, because uh, unlike most people, for some reason, let me let me back that up because that sounds really cucky. Unlike this weird narrative, and I don't know why it seems like the games media always tries to jump in on social and political things all the time because it's kind of odd that like they can't just fucking talk about Starfield. They always got to be like mm, Donald Trump, mm, put him in jail. And it's like that's great, Kotaku, but what the fuck do you think about the new Batman game? Um, but I will say there. There seems to be like this weird, like you gotta pick a side. Is it Israel or is it or is it Palestine? Is it is it Russia or is it or is it uh, Ukraine? It's like, man, I care about the lives and the humans a lot more than I care about the the countries and, and the leaders and things like that. So I will say this: I am sympathetic to the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia. Vladimir Putin can suck a fucking dick, choke and die. And, uh, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't give a shit about that guy, but the people of Russia who most likely don't want to be at war feel bad for them. But that being said, we, we see games like last year with, uh, atomic heart, like kind of get like controversy over the fact that it's a Russian made game, even though it's like probably just made by a bunch of guys who are well-intended, who just wanted to turn their passion and love for video games into their career. Um, same thing with stalker Two, where it's like another one of those games where it's like, I, I'm super sympathetic to, to the, to the people working on that game, the conditions they've had to work in to get this game done. Like it's, it's fucked. Their situation is, is heartbreaking and is, it is so screwed up and shouldn't have to be that way. And I think that game looks like it will be great on its own merit, but I am pretty sure that that stalker Two will be one of those like nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 from every outlet kind of games because for some reason the games media is so obsessed with sticking like social and political opinions and everything. So they're going to be like, mm, it's made by a Ukrainian developer. Mm, 10 out of 10. Oh, the struggle's real. So like, again, I'm not trying to make light of a very serious situation that's happening over in another part of the world. I'm trying to poke fun at the games industry because the games media can't fucking look at a goddamn Harry Potter game without trying to make it a trans issue or you know, freaking, I don't, we can't, we can't talk about Baldur's Gate versus, versus Starfield versus Cyberpunk without it turning into fucking free Palestine. So it's like, okay, calm, calm down, IGN and Kotaku. You guys take, put your fucking panties back on, okay? Okay, real, real adults are talking here. And what we want to talk about is how much wood, could a woodchuck, okay. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think, I, I, I think there is enough proof that shows that something seems to be up where, where if you believe in a thing called an Xbox tax, I'm not here to say you're crazy or you're a conspiracy theorist or anything because you're right. The writing seems to be on the wall. I just, I just choose to continue to believe that this is not a real thing and that people are better than that. And I think, I think there will be a breaking point. Listen, if Indiana Jones is a six out of 10 and avowed is a 7.5 out of 10 and then PlayStation doesn't have any games this year, so I can't tell you what ratings they would get, but I assume it'd be nines and tens if they put out a game this year. Then, then I'll be like, okay, you know what? Fuck it. The Xbox tax is real, but I just, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to like not to not buy into that because it's, um, I have enough things that make me mad for no reason. We don't, we don't need more things to just, well, not even make me mad because I, I don't care. But we don't need more things to just drive like division and hatred. So I'm gonna just sit here and pretend. The Xbox tax is not real uh, in that Indiana Jones is going to get an 8 out of 10, an 8.7 out of 10. That, that's that's the review score. Calling it now. Kronk, you also said, this is a great question. You said, what is your favorite game on Xbox that is not 
a first party game and is not exclusive to Xbox, but in your brain, it's an Xbox game. For example, I think of Bioshock as an Xbox game, even though it's on everything. This is a great one. The problem is between your example of Bioshock and Mike Clark, who responds here, you guys already captured so many of the ones that um, I think of. Uh, Mike Clark says, great question. Uh, for one, I ask myself this all the time. Like you, Bioshock will always be an Xbox game for me, but I would also add Mass Effect, Lost Planet, Alan Wake, Dragon Age, Battlefield series. Um, and uh, Mike Clark, I agree. Those are actually pretty much all games that I, I would say because Alan Wake, for all intents and purposes, was an Xbox game until they sold the IP back to Remedy and let them go do whatever they wanted with it. Dragon Age, I absolutely associate that with... Actually... Dragon Age is a little more mixed. I think with Dragon Age and Battlefield, I always just associated EA with Xbox for some reason. Like when they did EA play with Game Pass, I was like, that makes sense for no fucking reason. Honestly, if Xbox went and bought EA instead of Activision, I would have been like, you know what? Not that I'm in favor of this, but that actually kind of makes sense in a way. Because for some reason, always. Yeah. Mercenaries we talked about earlier in the day. Mercenaries, those games were on PlayStation as well absolutely xbox games to me they're not playstation games battlefield i've always been the same way it's not that i look at call of duty as a as a playstation game quite the opposite i always look at call of duty as an xbox or a pc game but never a playstation game which is weird because it sells best on playstation and has had a marketing deal with playstation for like nine years at this point but yeah i i, I just always look at battlefield and everything that's ea i always look at it as as a, as an Xbox thing, mass effect, of course, because Xbox published the first mass effect. So that kind of was an Xbox game lost planet. Absolutely. I see as an Xbox game. And then Bioshock, of course, Bioshock, because it was only on Xbox for so long. And then I remember, cause back in the day, the conversation was like, did you hear that Bioshock and gears of war are going to be coming to PlayStation? I remember everyone back in like eighth grade talking about that. Oh, Bioshock and, and mass or, and, um, and gears of war are both going to be on PlayStation three pretty soon. I was like, no way that makes no sense. And then Bioshock actually came to PS3. And I was like, Oh my God, is gears of war really also going to come to PS3? And then that didn't happen because my eighth grade brain didn't understand things. But yeah, I mean, that's just, uh, I'm sure that was actually a conversation at one point before Microsoft acquired the IP, but yeah, dude, absolutely. All those games for sure. Some other ones that I would, uh, let's see, what are some other games that are multi-platform KOTOR? Of course, I think Knights of the old Republic. Absolutely. Although that wasn't on PlayStation. I mean, but eventually it was PC and now, and now like ports have been put on switch and stuff. doesn't matter to me. Basically anything Bioware is an Xbox game to me, whether it's mass effect Jade empire, although Jade empire was an Xbox game. So I guess these are bad examples, but definitely think of those um, with Xbox. I think of prey as an Xbox game, not the newer one, but the old prey. I think of, I think of the army of two games as uh, Xbox games. I always think this is a weird one. I always think of red dead redemption as an Xbox game and Grand Theft Auto as a PlayStation game for some fucking weird reason. Far Cry is an Xbox game to me. Borderlands is an Xbox game to me. Well, maybe less so. I kind of I kind of accept Borderlands as multi-platform, but um, that's definitely one I assume I, I I associate Shadow Complex, of course, because that was Xbox for a long time before it came to other platforms. Call of Duty during its heyday, I associate as an Xbox game, like. Modern Warfare 1 and 2 and like World at War and Black Ops. Like to me, that's an Xbox game. Mirror's Edge is a game I associate as an Xbox game. Again, that EA thing, man, I swear, always. Dark Souls is a game I always associate as a PlayStation game, even though it's on Xbox. Oh, yeah, here's a weird one. 
for some reason, Rock Band, so, so so Guitar Hero is an Xbox game and Rock Band is a PlayStation game. That's that's a weird thing that I always associate. Anything, but so before Microsoft bought Bethesda, anything Bethesda was an Xbox game to me. So Fallout 3, Oblivion, Skyrim, those games, absolutely Xbox games, not PlayStation games. And then Xbox bought uh, Bethesda, so now it's a little more fitting. So that was, that was definitely uh, an easy one. Uh, anything valve was also xbox so obviously left for dead one and two were xbox exclusives on console they never came to playstation but um, other valve games that did come to playstation i still assumed were or, or always viewed as xbox games like portal or like didn't they do one of the counter-strike go or something or some version of counter-strike was like an xbox live and psn download game at one point um, so those games, definitely Xbox, anything valve that was on console was Xbox. Yeah. I mean, those are some, I mean, th- those are just some examples. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I got, I got to stop myself. Cause this is, this is a fun exercise. I could literally just go on forever and ever on this. Um, there's just so many, Oh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man one. So 2002 Spider-Man one based on the Sam Raimi movie is an Xbox game because on, if you bought the game on Xbox, it had a battle with Craven the Hunter that was not included on the GameCube or PS2 version of the game. But Spider-Man 2, the 2004 game by Treyarch, is a PlayStation 2 game, not an Xbox game. I don't fucking know why that makes sense in my head, but it does, and you can't take it away from me. Oh, and then Spider-Man 3, the video game, is, is an Xbox 360 game. So it's Spider-Man 1 and 3, Xbox, Spider-Man 2, PlayStation. That's always how I looked at it. Um, yeah, but we, we got to move on because I'll, I'll just sit here all fucking night and do this because it's, 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 it's a fun exercise. Uh, Max Payne, definitely an Xbox game, even though it's, um, available on, on all things because anything Remedy is always Xbox to me. All right. Headhunting Halo has the last comment of the day and he says, excited for the year of gaming. I bet it will be a good one for Xbox fans. Finally got to play Star Wars Jedi Survivor and man, that game is long. It's a good one. And I bought it on sale for 30 bucks. So, Hey, why not? I'm so skeptical of buying games anymore because... I don't know when it's going to come to Game Pass. You never know. But I, hey, I love RuneScape as well. And it was so much fun to play with my friends. Man, those were the days. Man, those were the days indeed. I remember Marcus and Austin, my my two best friends from church. We would go fucking, dude, like RuneScape, Stag Shock, Spider-Man, Pokemon, Laser Tag. Like, dude, that was our, those were our hobbies. Those, that was our shit, man. I miss that stuff. Uh, so shout out to RuneScape. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I totally understand that feeling. That is that is one of the worst things about Game Pass, actually, is like, should I buy it? Like, uh, Atlas Fallen is a game that came out last year that I really wanted to play. I finally caved in and bought it because it was on sale for 30 bucks. Um, so my plan was to play it after I'm done with the Batman Arkham games. But that's a game where I'm like, I really want to buy it and support the developers, but also I feel like it's going to be on Game Pass in a few months. I'm like, ah, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I feel the same way with... Um, Immortals of Avium as well. Where I'm like, this is just going to be in Game Pass like in seven minutes, isn't it? So I I totally know that feeling. It's so it's so stressful. But sometimes you you win some, you lose some. Sometimes you just got to bite the bullet, buy the game, and if it comes to Game Pass, feel good knowing you support the developers. I guess you know. But anyway, thank you for writing in. Thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for listening. Uh, that's gonna do it for our podcast this week. Xbox on a a, a PlayStation podcast, of course, uh, about all things Nintendo. But uh, yeah, next week's podcast going up a day late on Friday to accommodate the developer direct. Very excited about seeing Indiana Jones, Avowed, all these games. I'm really looking forward to it. Looking forward to hearing your guys' reactions after you see the games. Feel free to write in Thursday if you want to drop a comment on this episode of the podcast about what you thought about the developer direct so that I can then use that comment in next week's podcast and we can mix it in with my thoughts. 
That'd be a lot of fun. So be sure to leave a comment. Five-star reviews. Remember, you can wipe your nose. You can wipe your friend's nose. But you can't pick your friend's nose. Power your dreams. Mm -hmm.